Welcome to the Joy of Comics, Episode 9. I am Rich Lepore. Jordan Alseka. Kevin Schaefer. And today we have a very special guest. Uh, his name is Cliff Bumgardner. And uh, Kevin, I'm going to let you introduce him. Yeah, so I met Cliff at Oak City Comic Con. Um, he is the founder of the new entertainment website, uh, or co-founder of uh, Internet Picnic. Um, it's internetpicnic.com. Yes, sir. Very cool. Awesome. And um, local writer, filmmaker... Um, and he's got several projects um, to talk about today, among them being the Miller World Annual, for which he wrote the American Jesus That's story. so freaking amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and Couldn't then, be more jealous. Absolutely. Um, and then also the NC Comic Con documentary, which will premiere at this year's show in November. Yes. And so, uh, yeah. after that, we'll talk just general stuff that we've been enjoying, maybe a little bit about the industry, uh, talk about... Just whatever comes to our mind. This is still a Joy of Comics episode. That's the main focus. But, but uh, there may be a little TV. There may be a little oh, movies. Yeah. Uh, just whatever we've all been doing. Roundtable discussion, etc. Absolutely. And uh, with that, I think, let Cliff tell us a little bit about himself. Yeah, so, hey, uh, what brings you here? Hey, guys. Well, thank you for having me. Number yeah, one. How's absolutely. it going? Doing great. Well. Awesome. Oh, yeah. It is yeah. not hot, I swear. <laughs> no, not at all. It is nice outside. Beautiful. I, we're Clement. Doing, we, yes, we're doing this on a dock, in fact. It's Indeed. so nice. There's oh, a yes. breeze. Yes. Oh, God. I might hear the occasional seagull. Nice, oh, yeah. nice yeah. boat. It's got a name on it. I'll, yeah, I can't yeah. repeat it because it's, it's, it's a little uh, <laughs> censoring. Yeah. What do you guys want to know? So we just want to kind of talk with you about those two projects yeah. and then anything other. Um, but I guess just get started. So you've always had an interest in writing and filmmaking. Um, how did you get started sort of you know, um, both as just in your own free time and yeah. the first works you got out there? Yeah. Uh, I mean, like everybody, I think I've. I was one of those kids who I could never just watch a movie or read a book and just be happy experiencing it. I was always that kid who was like, oh, I have to make this thing. So mm-hmm. I was, from the time I was mm-hmm. about 12 years old, I was writing, and my first story was a ripoff of The Hobbit. Like, I just, any, anything <laughs> nice. I could do, I just wanted hey, hey, to do. Hey, uh, um, George R. R. Martin made a career out of that. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm exactly. Just, I'm just kidding, internet. I'm just and kidding. Peter Jackson made three movies out of it somehow, too. <sighs> yeah. so. I don't know how. How did he do this? I don't know. How did he do this? How no, did he take this he, little book? He, there were, this is a big point for me, man. There were huge... <laughs> Huge trilogy, exactly three movies. No, my tiny was, book, smaller than any one in uh-huh. the trilogy. My friend brought the extended edition of Unexpected Journey the other day, and I was watching. I'm just like, it takes them an hour to leave the Shire. Oh <laughs> my god, dude! I watched, and I'm not the hugest Lord of the Rings fan, you know. Full disclosure, but um, that for those even the initial trilogy when I watched like those those uncut versions I swear to god I fell asleep every time <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like, granted it is a little bit of a problem for me to fall asleep sometimes in long movies but man did those do the trick I watched Return of the King and was like man this is long I can't imagine a movie being longer than this and I imagine Peter Jackson was somewhere going ah, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Get, yeah. give me ten years and I'll prove you wrong oh, sir god and and more drawn out <laughs> and anyway which, back to back to what you made yes. a, you made a, a I made the Lord film. of the Rings is what we're trying to say right <laughs> no I, uh, I wrote a short story as my very first like short I gave it to my dad for Father's Day I believe nice. um, when Aww. I was like yeah when I was like 12 we're recording on Father's no no that's next week <laughs> yeah. Yeah. we're close though we're Darn close alright alright yeah now my stories are way too messed up to give to my dad but um <laughs> but yeah I just kind of started there and wrote from the time I was from like I said from about 12 or 13 
just kept going. I uh, ended up writing for a magazine when I was in my teens. Got a lot of experience that what way. What magazine? Uh, it was actually, this This will be, the believe it or not, the nerdiest thing we say on this podcast. I don't know. It was a magician's trade magazine. That's awesome! <laughs> yeah. That Especially because magic is making such a resurgence lately. Yeah. Like with with uh, Now You See Me oh, yeah. and Now You See Me Too. And those are just some examples. You know what? I've actually been going back. This is a real deep cut. Yeah. I've been going back and watching Jonathan Creek. Have you heard of this show? Uh, it sounds so familiar. It's a freaking British it. show, right? About a dude who's like a magician's assistant and he creates all the tricks. Oh, and he's wow. a detective. And he uses his magician's assistant skills to figure out how impossible crimes were committed. It's awesome. That is a That's genius awesome. idea it's for a show. It's brilliant. It's amazing. And it's all on YouTube. I'm writing that down. Why have I not seen this? I, I, when I heard about it, I was like, what is wrong with me? <laughs> I, I, why am I not? Because I love British stuff. I love detective stuff. Yeah. And then magic is like... Maybe fifth or sixth on the list. Of shit I like, <laughs> right, you know right. what I mean? But still, right. I like it a lot. Yeah. So you were into magic. Yeah, yeah. I did that. I actually did that. It's, it's a weird alternate life that I had. I did that for professionally for like 10 years. I could see you doing that. I could it's, see you over at South Point yeah. doing the whole, like, here's my hat. Uh-huh. And I knew, I knew the guys who did that. I never actually went that far, but I knew right. those guys. But yeah, it ended up kind of where I made my niche in that world was writing. I uh, wrote for this magazine called The Linking Ring. Nice. Of all things. But in, how does it link? I know. But weirdly enough, it, it was cool because the the people behind it were actually some legit writers. My kind of mentor during that time was the owner of the second largest uh, public um, um, uh, author's agency in the country. Huge. So it's crazy. Like I and I had no idea. So he became my mentor and editor. And so I came up that way with a lot of really great people helping me. Um, and then a few years ago, uh, wrote... My first, I had written screenplays and things before, been into film for a long time, but I wrote my first really like serious, dedicated screenplay, uh, appropriately enough, about the comic book industry. Nice. About a kid uh, who's an artist trying to road trip to a comic book convention to show his art to a, to uh, uh, another artist and try and break in. That's like tailor-made for like her current climate. Oh, it would have been a blast, yeah. And it, it got picked up, um, the script got picked up for a while, bounced all around Hollywood and had a very surreal couple of years and then in the way of things just died. See now this is the point in the conversation at which like I can't emphasize enough how crazy that is. <laughs> yeah. Like that's yeah. crazy. It was it, it was insane especially the timing the way it happened. I, I for it to be my first serious project it was When I first asked you about this my my first question cuz I listen to a lot of like Nerdist Writers panel and yeah. you know writing podcasts and all this kind of stuff and the one thing everybody says is how did you get your agent yeah you don't have an agent how are you going to get the scripts in the hands of blah 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 yeah and somehow you did it without an agent didn't have an agent i weirdly enough i decided when i wrote the script i said i'm going to make this movie myself for five grand that's what i'm going to try to do as mm-hmm. a just prove that i can make a movie mm-hmm. you know kevin smith clerks it up sure, basically, sure. basically was my was my idea um, and I put out a casting call on, of all places, Craigslist, because I had no idea what I was doing. Craigslist is surprisingly effective. I met two of my best friends on Craigslist because of that casting <laughs> call, right. which is, uh, sounds like the creepiest thing imaginable, but it worked out. You met the two non-creeps that are on Craigslist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The only two. Right. Right. So yeah. now I t- I've taken them off. The rest are creeps. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's a screenplay right there. I almost yeah, got yeah. robbed in my own driveway from a Craigslist yes. sale, dude. That's a story <laughs> for another time. The two non-creeps on Craigslist. Yeah. But I, uh, one of the guys named Tab. Travis Baker, um, he at the time was local acting, trying to make his way up. He's now in LA. He's been on AMC. He's done a bunch of great stuff. Wow. He's a theater actor. Does a ton of great stuff there. 
uh, one of my closest friends, but he was working with a production studio in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, at the time, this is when North Carolina had all of our film incentives. It was a lot of stuff. We were shooting Hunger Screen Games. Screen Gems and yeah, all that We were shooting stuff. Hunger Games here and Sleepy Hollow and Homeland and Dawson's Iron Man, Creek before that. Yeah, Dawson's I Creek. Went, I visited the set. It was Iron embarrassing Man 3, and awesome. All that stuff right. was, was here. And so there was a lot of people setting up shop and I met a producer who he connected me, sent him a script and he ended up picking it up and it, it went from zero to 60 completely unexpectedly, completely beyond anything I would have ever thought would have Did happened. Did you ever get any interest from like actors or anybody interested in being in it? There were a few that we heard um, from time to time, various various like geek cred people. I don't necessarily want to throw out who they were in the event that it never actually made it to them, <laughs> because you hear a lot of that in this yeah. business. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there were quite a few name actors at one point who were interested or wanted to sign on, and it, it got very strange, and it got very big. Yeah. We started out, like I said, I was going to make it to five grand. It goes up at one point to 50 then to a couple hundred, and then by the end, it was almost a million was going to be our budget. Dude, yoga hosers, that I was just looking that yeah. up. Yeah. That's, that, was, that was made for three mil. Yeah, yeah. So talking about clerks, And they right? have Johnny Depp. So. Well, he's probably doing it for nothing <laughs> yeah, for his yeah, daughter's yeah. sake, but yeah. still. Yeah, so it went. It got really big really fast, and that ended up being, I think, the death knell. Was it, it, it needed to be that original it small ballooned. indie movie. It ballooned into to, to too large yeah. for its own, yeah. Yeah, and especially at the time with, with the way things were, and then the company that it was going through kind of went downhill, and it was a whole bunch of things. And I just recently actually got the rights back to that script on my own to have it and maybe try and make it again at some point nice. in the future. You could still make it for 5K. Oh, yeah. With the kind of accomplishments you're about to get to that have happened since then. <laughs> you, you can, I mean, yeah. you can use that as, as, as you know resume fodder for investors. Oh, right? yeah, absolutely. I've been lucky enough to, to just meet a lot of great people since then. And it's one of those things, even though that project went downhill, like I wouldn't be sitting here mm. if it wasn't for that project. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It never would have got let me meet the people I met and encouraged me that maybe I could actually do this kind of stuff and yeah. all that. So it's it's a lesson if you have a project out there that seems like it dies on the vine, it's never dead. Everything is useful. You can always keep going. In fact, this is a totally different scale or maybe not really that different, yeah. but um, Joe Hill, yeah. uh, Lock and Key, I just heard they're now doing it again. Again. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously that, that was supposedly a pretty good pilot. Yeah, I've heard it was great. Notably a great pilot script, I know for sure. And have you seen it, Jordan? I have not. Okay. I, I've seen it on the bootleg tables at a few conventions. Okay. Have oh, you? Really? Yeah, there. Find anything at the bootleg. Table, oh, but I didn't but... know they had that. Yeah, if I've you seen... see it this year, let me know. I we do not as a show support bootlegging, <laughs> but you know it's... this is different. This is something I cannot legitimately procure. We as a show do not. <laughs> <laughs> let me know it's there so I can look at it and you not can... buy it. Okay? Sure. Yeah, that's totally the just yeah. because it's it's a curiosity. Yeah. Well, now, especially if they make the new one, that one will never get seen. Right? Yeah, that one will never get, well, get yeah. carted around. I really think that I think pilots should be a lot more like Amazon does it. I really oh, it's do. Brilliant the way I they really do. do. It's so smart. Because um, I mean, you, you drop a couple of million dollars at least on a pilot and then no one ever sees it. I know. What sense does that make? It makes no sense. And, I mean, granted, a studio doesn't want to be associated with, like, you know, a pilot that's drivel, but then what are they doing airing most of the shows that air? Right. You know what right. I mean? Those pilots right. are horrible. Have you seen The Mysteries of Laura? Have you seen <laughs> Dr. Ten? I mean, have you seen this shit? I mean, it's unfreaking believable. Yeah. And then, like, Lock and Key doesn't see the light of day, and I heard it was great. The cast, I don't remember it offhand, but it was, like, a baller cast. Right. I only remember Jesse McCartney. There you go. But, you know. But well, now they're doing it again? Is that, do yeah. you know anything more? about this? No, that's just what I've heard is that they greenlit it again. I guess they set up shop somewhere else and going yeah. back to the... I mean, it's so tailor-made for its series. Oh, yeah. I mean, dude, each key is a new freaking whole, you know, yeah. thing. Oh, your your season under cliffhangers are built in. 
with the way that whole story was written. It's, it's brilliant. But I mean, it also took what fifteen years to get American Gods finally into True, production. Right. So and Sandman is again in development. Yeah, Gordon Levitt. Left. See, this is the lesson. At least they're finally like like people that that you know producers or production companies are finally getting the message of like when you if you love something like. Um, uh, what's the one that just got canceled and was a surprise? Uh, Bradley Cooper was involved in TV. Limitless, mm. like oh, yeah, and, yeah. and Minority yeah. Report and all these great properties, right? Instead of like saying, "Ooh, we need to make the Minority Report TV show," they should say, "Hmm, what is it that makes Minority Report great? Let's find mm-hmm. other contemporary properties similar to that yeah. and mine those." And that seems to be what's happening. Like American Gods, it's like you know, there's a show that's similar to a lot of shows that are successful right now so they grab that instead right. of trying to retcon and pull out something old I don't know yeah. it's, it's not it's not a complete thought in my head yet but well the other side of that and this is film not TV but the other side of that is like 10 Cloverfield Lane yeah they, they grab a spec script horror movie indie horror movie that otherwise would probably never get a budget and, and they, they say slap a franchise title on let's it. say let's make it Cloverfield yeah. we'll just change the third act and bam you have this amazing movie and really, they, and I was surprised. Like, no, no spoilers, I haven't seen. No it. spoilers, but like how they really didn't tamper much. I don't think with it. I mm-hmm. mean, really, in the last ten minutes, the right. Cloverfield title comes into play. Yeah, but aside from that, it serves as a really great standalone horror film. Yeah, it's a small indie, really scary, legit, disturbing yeah. arm movie. That's a smart play. It that is. is a really smart play. Yeah, but another thing I like to bring up is something. I'd like to see more of, but like if you look at Preacher that just premiered on AMC, yeah. that is from some fan. You know, Seth Rogen, he's a huge actor now, but he was a fan of Preacher. He was like, what right. do I want to put all my time and money into? Mm-hmm. I want to adapt this comic from the 90s that obviously has a following, but yeah. probably would have never made it to screen, except he was like, no, I'm going to go to bat for this. And now yeah. it's a TV show. Yeah. And that's kind of cool to think. Well, uh, even crazier to me is Deadpool. Did it oh, really yeah. take Ryan Reynolds pounding it for 10 years yeah. for that to come out? Yeah. When everybody from age 8, you know, which they shouldn't be, but they do love it, <laughs> yeah. to, to age yeah. 50 loves fucking Deadpool. And the movie studio's still like, yeah, but nah. What? Yeah. That movie should have been made six years ago. People were clamoring for it. Yeah. Like, people wanted it so bad, it's like Ryan Reynolds had to push it. It got a teeny-weeny budget. It's still really awesome. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. It was worth it in the end if it was that damn good, though. I'm kind of happy with... You really loved Deadpool. Yeah, I, I, I suspected I would hate it. I honestly went in going, like, this looks like a full of millennial internet jokes. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to dig it. Uh-huh. The filmmaking was top-notch. It really blew me away the way they crafted that. I was, well, I was I, with you. I really liked it. Yeah. I interviewed Daniel Way about it recently, and I mean, we were talking just in general, but he talked a lot about that, and he said that, like Grant Reynolds, the um, director, what was his name? Um, trying to blank on my name right now, yeah. but um, anyway, he had to fight the studio big time as yeah. well, and so... Well, especially because he's a video game guy. He is, he's he is. He's made that. a feature before. Yeah, yeah. So it's his, but, but you also see it. Yeah. In the movie, you see the influence of a truly just visual medium where he's used to being able to do anything he wants. Well, you could play that whole film. movie. Oh, I yeah. Mean, you know, like especially like that final scene. And, like It's such a set piece in a video game. Yes. Like you'd be dodging away from the stuff falling on <laughs> right, you. Exactly. You know what I mean? I could totally see that. Well, and the whole first half of that movie is basically one scene. It's the bridge. Right. It keeps coming back right. to the set piece action scene that just keeps going and they yeah. stitch everything together. It's not that big of a movie no, in the no, end. No. It's like these these key set pieces, very video game like, that they stitch together. Right. That's a really good point. Think uh, think Quantum Break for uh, right. like that. And by the way, when I was thinking of the pool scene you were talking about, and that this is a quick uh, detour, but that pool scene, I was thinking you were talking about the pool at the mansion where they, you know what I mean, where they, uh, 
where the parties were, where that. Oh party, no, no! In the, Quantum Break, the time machine is built at a, a swimming pool. Yeah, that you go there a lot. You visit it literally in three different acts. It's like the main place. So they only had to build one place, and man, they got some mileage out of it. But it's the same kind of thing. It keeps stitching back at different time periods, same location. Yeah, Tim Miller was the director. Tim that, yeah, Thank you to Tim. throw that out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, kind of building off of that, yeah. if I wanted to ask you, and Jordan as well, so, um, like, Cliff, you're now making the comics now. Jordan, you solely wanted to write comics, and you're, you're heading that way now. You've got your book coming out later this year. So, what is it that experience been like in terms of breaking into that industry and um, both just as a writer having to find an artist, having yeah. to do all the work? Is that like, what's that? Been? I want to hear from both of you on this. So, yeah. a, a buddy of mine once told me, he said that comics, and I don't, he probably stole this from somebody else, but he said that comics, in, anytime somebody gets in, it's like the hole closes behind them. So everybody, oh, I've heard that. Yeah, everybody yeah. finds their own way yeah. kind of through the door. So it's one of those things that's so hard to be like, well, here's how, I mean, I did it through the first ever contest of its type. Mm-hmm. Right. I can't in any way, you know, uh, uh, give someone else advice on that because yeah, it I just mean, sort of happened. It's you like, know? and not to discredit however good the script was, we right. haven't seen it, but it's like, that's kind of like the grail where you submit and you're just like, I put my, I bought a lottery ticket. Exactly. <laughs> you yeah, don't absolutely. think, you can't realistically go, yeah, I'm going to make it from this. Yeah, absolutely. I, you don't know what they're looking for. Mm-mm. You don't know. I mean, I think you were very strategic and smart about the way you approached it. But regardless, like that, you don't know what they're looking for. You right. don't know what their motivations are. They could be looking for something very specific. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and you don't know. It's kind of like applying for jobs. You know, it's yeah. a miserable process. In that case, this maybe wasn't especially for you. But <laughs> but you know, when you're looking for a job, you don't know what little weird quirk they have that they want right. for that. You know what I mean? So well, I, I tell people all the time that today. Everyone is giving 100%, so now you have to give 150. Mm. If you do a pitch, it has to be 150% better than anybody else's mm. because that's the only way it's going to stand out. There's so many people doing good work, which is great, but when you're trying to stand out, just being good isn't enough. Oh, I think that's very true. I don't know that that wasn't true before. Also, maybe even more so now. Yeah. But I will say this. At least there's a more opportunity than there ever was before. Oh, yeah. That contest, comics in general with Image. Yep. Um, and then and then just just TV in general. Think about how many more shows there are now. Oh, yeah. I think there's somebody telling me there's like 400 shows or 500 shows oh, in production gosh, yeah. right now. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. No, yeah. and you know, I was talking... 30. The other day, I was talking with uh, Dave Dwanch, who's the president of Action Lab, and uh, he said that they get in somewhere from five to ten submissions a week mm-hmm. there. And that's not even... And that's a, Action Lab. That's like, Action Lab. That's right. not even a company uh, as big as Image. Grant, they're, I mean, they're a big independent publisher, but, you know, I mean, a, a lot of people outside the comic book world don't know who they are, and they're getting five to ten submissions a week. And, right. You know, there's all these people who really want to break into the industry. Well, the magic of comics, I mean, from my perspective, I would also like to break into the industry sure. for comics. And the the best way to do that, or, or break into the comics industry, and sure. the, you know, as, as an ending, and then that also can lead to other things. Sure. But the thing about comics is the barrier to entry, in, in, you know, in a lot of ways because of the competition, it's, yeah. it's high. But yeah. in other ways, it's low because all you got to do is, you know, have a great idea learn the language of comics obviously so you're not just right. writing a movie script and calling it a comic right um and then you know find an artist which which is a, which is a is daunting but it's doable yeah. for a lot less than you can find a film crew oh yeah you know what i mean oh, so yeah. you can make something and publish something that can show your idea as a storyteller right. and your you know your quality of writing 
you know, for two grand as right. opposed to, you know, 20 grand or five right. grand or whatever. Yeah, the internet's a beautiful thing. I mean, that's how I've got an original pitch going around right now, and I, it's an artist named Butch Mappa in the Philippines connected with him online. So I nice. found him, and, and, and we did all the work, you know, just <laughs> through Skype. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's something that would not have been possible very long ago. Um, even, like, ten years ago, the community just I don't think was there the way it is now so it's a heck of a time if people want to start putting stuff out self-publishing is at a point where you can get really good books out physically in people's hands that segues really nicely into your story which how's that going well I've told my story before and I don't feel like I'm at all close to breaking in Um, but you're on the way yeah, I mean, I had a successful Kickstarter, and the book's going well, and it's almost done as far as the art side of things, and uh, I don't know. I think, yeah, it's it's impossible to have a, a single break-in story. Like, right. I think you have to do it because you want to do comics, um, yeah. or just because you like storytelling, because really, um, there are so many times, especially if you listen to other podcasts, or you listen to other creators, it's almost frequently where it's like, yeah, I it, it was almost out of the blue. Or, yeah, it, or just, it was the time when I stopped giving a shit about getting signed. That that was the script that blew up, that blew right. up or something. Yeah, I mean, well, it's the it's there are always editors looking, and it seems. I mean, that's more is that you're you're more likely to have an editor see your work and like it and want to give you a job than you pitching right. and being able to break through the thousands of other submissions because right. it's also basic psychology too. The basic psychology, human psychology, is you want to think something's your own idea. Let's say you're a scout for talent. Mm-hmm. You want to think I found this awesome talent. I I was on. Uh, Kickstarter and I saw freaking Terminal Protocol and it blew me away. That's what you tell your your editor and all of a sudden like wow dude you just like discovered this person rather right. than they sent this pitch in they're really trying it, it just there's something more organic about it and and just as humans we want to believe like we found it we discovered it yeah well so right. that's another there's, piece I mean there's that they say it all the time a lot of editors I know um, Steve Wacker says it a lot is that. Um, we they want to know that you can make a comic, mm-hmm. and so making a comic on your own is a big thing. And just just being on Kickstarter without even you know just being there asking for money, I had emails from people who I never probably would have gotten the time of day from anyway. And you know I I don't want to say too much, nothing you know, but but yeah. there's no room for those conversations and those connections you can make just because you you didn't have any promise of profit, probably not going to make a profit if anything, right, right. going to go you know negative on it, but. Because they see that you're making a book, that's a big thing. So I think... And nothing talks. Nothing talks like customer putting their money up. Oh, yeah. Nothing yeah. speaks like that. That helps, too. Nothing speaks uh, like that. There there were... What was your Kickstarter goal? Uh, $6,000. And you beat it. Yeah. I mean, more than $6,000 worth of people's money, they were, they were willing to invest in this story. I mean, and that's just, as a statement, means yeah. something. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's an awesome feeling, too, uh, which makes up for the month of stress and uh, yeah, self-doubt. Right, you were in, <laughs> in hell. Because it has those, right, the Kickstarter has, like, the, the what is this, Parabola? Not really. It has a, it, there, there's a, there's this website called KickTrack, or, or KickTrack, I forget at this exact point, but it basically will show you, like, here's what you're trending to, and here's where you're likely to end up, and it's a terrifying website to look at. <laughs> uh, because that the beginning is your biggest day, and the end is your biggest day, and in the middle, it's scary, right? Well, that's the goal. Like, Kickstarter, the thing is, you want to have, like, a 30-40-30, basically, is if you can get 30% in the first couple of days, that's going to boost up your profile in general, then you get about 40% in the middle, and then the last two days, those reminder emails go out, people think to do it, and you can probably get the last 30%. Ideally, you you don't get to the last few days with thirty percent left because then you want to just like kill yourself You're gonna <laughs> out the window, right? with the stress. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's just the sort of thing where 
you've got to put the time in because Kickstarter is a time investment. It's a second job is what a lot of people say. And yeah, if you want to stay engaged and keep pitching and going around to local places and making sure it's out there, it's going to cost that. It's going to cost time and money. Um, I think that's another thing is um, if you want to be a writer, I think, and this was me because you can find free art online. You can find cheap art online, but it's not going to look as good. And you don't, for me, I didn't want my name on a book that was, you know, a, Ten twenty dollar a page book because right. it was going to look terrible, and so it's not going to do any do you any favors in the long run. Either. Yeah, and that's why our goal was so high, and that's why I was willing to pay the money I did from working a part time job because I wanted the book to be something that caught eyes, and I think it did. Yeah, oh, and so dude. you have to be ready to make that investment. Would be my advice. Um, oh yeah, especially if you really want to make the book. That's got to be the end goal. Again. Your artists do the coloring and lettering as well. Yeah, the Rem Rembrew is my artist. He's the whole package pretty right. much dude, in terms of dude's art. ridiculous. Oh, he had a couple image books before uh, with the, the the Death Time Adventures of Bram and what is it? The End Times have been in Bram. And it's, and I mean, it, 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 the art especially, I'll speak to, is freaking gorgeous. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that, just from what I've seen. That's actually another thing is I've followed, because I, I want to start ramping up to another project soon because once this is out, I don't want to just have nothing. Yeah. But... Just because an artist or creator has made it in your eyes, like they have a book somewhere at Dark Horse Image, anywhere, they're still looking for other stuff, oh, and yeah. you should keep an eye out. Because just following on Twitter, I've seen so many people who have, here's my inquiry e- email, I'm going to you know, be looking for work. And yeah, they're going to have a price, and you should be willing to pay that price if you're going to get in contact with them. But you can get a name artist. Well, people I mean, forget, too. People forget that being a comic book creator, it does not mean that you are wealthy. It does not mean that nope. you are famous. <laughs> it does not mean that even that you're that successful. You are. You may be very successful in your own eyes or in the eyes of comic book fans, but that's a very small subset of people that consume media. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, and and it's it's it just is what it is. So these people that we look at it with absolute. I mean, I totally idolize some of the writers on image writers. I, I'm just like you are a freaking god to me. But they may be somebody who would be willing to collaborate with you once you have a couple projects under your belt. I mean, I I totally see what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, again. The work speaks, and the more work you have, the more legit you can seem. And just again, if you're willing to pay, there they, and and they have there's a track record of you paying. They're not going to necessarily turn their nose up to it if if they like the idea, and they need the work or yeah. want the work. Well, that's what it comes down to: is the work itself on your end before you ever approach an artist, before you ever even think about trying to get something published. The work has to be good, and that sounds like an obvious statement. But at the end of the day, the reason you get artists, the reason people are out there and they're looking is they want good work. There is a always a desire for truly good original ideas, something different, something we haven't seen before. I, when I first started out as a screenwriter, I read one time someone said, if you have a screenplay that is correctly formatted with no spelling errors and actually has a character who wants something and has opposition in their way, you're in the top 10% of screenwriters in the world. And I thought, oh, that's ridiculous. Now I've been doing it for half my life, and I go, oh, no, that's actually completely true. And I would say it's even more true in comics right now because of because you do have so many writers who don't have access to artists, so they get a friend to do it, and they get... There's so much bad work, unfortunately, and so much stuff that people aren't really putting the time and effort and learning that language of comics and learning that a comic book isn't a screenplay. It's not that novel you didn't mm-hmm. finish. It is a comic book, and you are a part of it. You're speaking a language, and you're part of this huge tapestry of work. 
just putting in the time and truly putting in the work and the effort, not getting precious about ideas. Ideas are cheap. Ideas are easy. They come all the time and they don't, it doesn't matter. Putting in the hours, putting in the hours, going to work, getting up in the morning and just putting in the hours. That is the most important thing. And that is the thing that unfortunately 99% of people won't do. Right. Or well, fortunately, if you're trying to break in. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that's the thing. When someone says, well, you know, I, you almost have the, and this sound, this sounds kind of snarky, but it's unfortunately true. When somebody goes, well, tell me how, how to, how to be a writer. And it's like, well, the truth is I could, but you're not going to do it. Yeah. I, I could, I could sit here all day and tell you all the advice and tell you and give you my whole, you know, Ted talk about inspiration and craft and everything else. But at the end of the day, if you're not going to, it's like, you're not going to build a house if you don't go buy some friggin' nails and just do it. Right. You can understand architecture, you can understand, you can hire the best people in the world, but if you don't put in the work, you're not gonna make a house, and you're certainly not gonna make a comment. Right, yeah, um, that's, that's really interesting. Well, yeah, something along that lines is when I was right out of college, I couldn't find work right away because I was an English major, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I guess those things are something that happens to the best uh, of us. <laughs> yep. But, you know, I was down on myself, and I wasn't writing for the... I worked for the technician, which was the NC State student paper, and I just suddenly didn't have that as an outlet, and I was just... You know, I got kind of down, and I stopped writing, and then for a while, I, I was sort of in that place of just, like, uh, maybe stuff will happen, but then I remember... Um, Brian Michael Bendis is big on answering questions on Tumblr and on yeah. Twitter. His Tumblr's amazing. His, it is. Um, and I got his book, Words, report, Words, Words for Pictures. Word, the Pink's World. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he wrote the, you know, the guide to writing comics, Words for Pictures. And at the very end of it, he talks about you know, a post he got, a question asking, okay, I really want to do this. I just I can't find the time and haven't been writing in so many years. Yeah. And you know, he very bluntly said, then you're probably not a writer. And yeah. I took that to heart where it was like, I haven't been writing. And you know, I've written probably... Uh, 40, 50 scripts now since I really started getting back to it a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, for various different projects. And I know Many a lot of, of them. may never see the light of day. Yeah. But, but you know, I've written them. And in a lot of ways, I've gotten a lot of those uh, base stories out, which I right. think is important. There's the oh, saying, yeah. you, you've got a 10,000 bad pages in you. Yeah. Um, and so I've written that, like, you know, the standard horror story and the standard sci-fi story and the standard mystery and just getting those out, and because it's important to, A, get the structure down and know yeah. what you need to do to break the mold. Um, but just the practice, because I want to write every day. And now I, I like being at the point where if I don't write in a day, I feel like a horrible person. Yeah. That's a good feeling to have, I think. Um, well, speaking of, speaking of uh, writing um, and, uh, and, and, and comics... What what I just want to shift gears a little bit to the Millar yeah. world thing. Oh yeah, the Miller yeah, yeah. world thing. Yeah. Um, how did the, you know what you did a story American Jesus story? Yeah. Well, what was your motivation there? What what's the what's what was the, how did this all come about? Yeah. Well, just and were uh, you blown away when you won? Oh, all of the questions. I have. Oh yeah. There's a crazy story about the day that they announced it that I'll get into. Um, when, just to, for anyone who doesn't know, Mark Miller, creator of Kick Ass, and basically every comic you've probably ever read. Kingsman. Um, yeah. He's t- it's the crazy thing is when you start looking at everything he's touched in one way or another that his name's not on and you're like, yeah. oh god, he created everything that I know. <laughs> um, dude's been around forever. Civil War. Man. Oh yeah. yeah. Crazily, War. crazily enough. Yeah. But he, um, he held a contest starting in, I believe it began in September or October of last year mm-hmm. on through his forum, Miller World, the Miller World website and forum. Uh, it was the Miller World Talent Search Contest, and he put out uh, a call for writers and artists all over the world. It was an international contest to submit. Um, for writers, you had to submit stories based on certain properties. He had, I think it was five or six properties from Kick-Ass, Hit-Girl, Kingsman, Starlight, 
number of different ones. You had to submit uh, around five-page stories. Different characters had different page limits and all that kind of stuff. And then artists submitted artwork based on uh, based on those characters. And then in the end, the goal was he would take uh, six writers, seven artists, so an artist for each writer plus a cover artist, put them together in an annual that would come out the following year, and it would be the first publication of these guys. All of these are writers and artists who have never been mass-published before in the comic book industry. Um, and I, I mean, the whole community heard about it and kind of freaked out, and I was among I was among them. And I went on the site and I started looking at the stories that he had available. And immediately, I saw the the, the usual suspects. Kick-Ass, Hit-Girl, Kingsman, Starlight, all that stuff. And I was like, everyone under the sun mm-hmm. is going to do a Kick-Ass or a Hit-Girl story. Right. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you, you guys would know about that. I just thought. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I was like, everyone's going to do that. Starlight is one of the few Miller books I haven't actually read. The other one was Chronauts, which I'm not super mm. familiar with. And then at the bottom of the list, there was American Jesus. Now, American Jesus is an old Miller book. I think it's 10 or 15 years old now. Originally released as a book called Chosen. Only three issues in the, in the first run. Never, It's never had a follow-up, which they've now announced a follow-up, but we'll get into that in a minute. Um, but ne- it had never had a follow-up. It had never been touched again. Um, I believe it was Peter Gross did the art. And it was this really strange, very Mark Miller story about this uh, 12, 13-year-old kid named Jody who basically finds out he's the second coming of Christ. Uh, and when I was getting into comics, I was I was in my Mark Miller phase where I was reading everything that he had written up till that point, and I heard about it, and I was like, "Wow, this really sounds up my alley. This is just it's dark and weird, and I, I like this." I went and found the original issues, which I still have. Were they called Chosen or American called Chosen? Jesus? Oh wow, not Chosen. It wasn't called American Jesus until I think maybe like the second printing of the trade paperback or whatever there's still a trade I think out as chosen and he didn't rebrand it for, for a little while I'm not entirely sure when that came about but um, so when I saw American Jesus on there it just piqued my interest and I thought well I, I think I could probably do something there so I so you had read American Jesus stories before yeah, you ever saw that yeah like a couple, several years before then wow. um, and hadn't read it since I just read it one time and I loved it but it's super short and it's not one of those things you're necessarily going to revisit all the time right oh sure it was in like the back of my long boxes somewhere you know and I just pulled it out and I read the issues and it was it was genius on, on Mark's part to choose that book um, because there's very few places you had to specifically do a story that took place in the context of the first arc of American Jesus, those first three That was the criteria on the contest? That was the criteria on the contest. So you had to fit it somewhere in there, and there's very few places where you can do that. It's a very small story. There's not... It's not a globe trot. Right. It's not not chrononauts. It's set in in Peoria, Illinois. I mean, it's very small. Much like like the first Thor movie. I don't know what that's set. It's a small town. And whereas, like, Kick-Ass, he said any story in between the, all three trades. Right, right. You've got hundreds of pages to yeah. play with. Month-long right. gaps in the timeline. Right. Yeah, and this you've got, like, it. the whole story takes place over about, I think the main story is only, like, a week, a couple of weeks. Wow. And um, it's, so it's very small. So I started looking at it, and there's and this won't spoil anything for people who haven't read the original run, because you should. It's, it's genuinely a great And book. hopefully it'll be in print again. Yeah, I think it definitely will. Um, because, like I said, he has announced a second tra- or a second arc coming. I think in the next year or two. Plus, they've just greenlit an American Jesus movie, uh, which explains why he chose this old property for the yeah. for the contest. Sure, sure, it was very sure. smart on his part. 
Um, and for the record, I have nothing to do with either of those. If they even reference my story in either, I will crap my pants. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it will be amazing. Um, but I won't even clean myself up. I'll just run around town screaming. Uh. I'll just be way too happy if that this actually just happens. Got, this just got a little bit... Uh, yeah. 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 Right. You see why I chose the American Jesus story, the dark one. All right. Um, yes. Yes, but, I uh, But so there's a moment towards the end where a dog has died. It's a dog that is all throughout the story. I hate when dogs die in, in, in anything. In the original in American Jesus, there's this the a priest uh, in in the story has this dog. The dog dies, and one of the big moments towards the end is Jody, the lead character, is trying to bring is bring, resurrecting the dog. All right, that's pulling cool. a Lazarus on the dog, and Mark does this very. Now it's something we'd recognize as a very Mark Miller thing to do, where he kind of widens out for a minute and just says all around Peoria in the few, like, 30 seconds it took to revive this dog, uh, weird crap happened. Like, babies were born with extra teeth, and all this strange, there was a lightning storm that ripped the town apart, and all this weird phenomena starts going on around the house. So, that, it, so this gives you a whole lot of intrigue on when one thing is fixed, other things go awry exactly. kind of concept that could it, be played with infinitely. Exactly. And for me, my question was, well, okay, that's... Peoria, and he covers a lot of Peoria, but I wanted to go one step wider. I wanted to open up the universe a little bit. So the, the basic pitch of my story, and it's only five pages, so I obviously can't say too much, but um, it's called Undeath, and essentially it shows events that were going on all over the world during that time, cool. and kind of the dichotomy of the good and bad that can happen all revolving around the idea of death. Um, because that's sort of what that moment was representing in the original story. And it just kind of widens out. Uh, it's narrated by the lead character just like the main story is. Um, and I wrote it I wrote it fairly quickly. I, I had a bunch of different ideas that I played with, and that's the one I landed on. I actually found, because I'm going through old stuff now, getting ready for the signing tour and stuff that I have coming up for the book, but... There's I, um, a signing tour. Myself and and what? myself and the artist on the story, Steve Beach, my co-creator uh, on the story, who is an amazing artist. If you go on Twitter, find Steve Beach. He's currently doing a, a web comic called "It's Like Last Tales of the U-Boat Something or Other." Sorry that I forgot the whole name, Steve. But um, Steve, he is. That's not cool. He is <laughs> phenomenal. He has this. Just he has one of those styles where there's more uh, black on the page than anything else, and it's just a beautiful. Is it black and white or color? Uh, the story is color. Okay. But even his original, when he sent me his original, uh, just black and white, his inks, I was like, we don't need. They don't even need to color it. They're why? Why color? Then I saw the color and was blown away all over again. Right, right. Um, and unfortunately, I don't yet know who did the the color on the story. Miller World's been handling that, so whoever. Did that? Did an amazing job, and I can't wait to to thank them once the book comes out. But um, so yeah, I wrote that story fairly quick, submitted it. I think I like, like I said, I just found the original, not even the script. Like I just free wrote all of the captions in a Word doc, just yeah. sitting at my just just wrote all wrote it all out, all the narration, just trying to get my head around it. Ended up, my dad was the first person to read it, obviously, sure, and I've sure. been like, and it was just it was a strange small thing. And then it sat on my computer for a while because I was like, well, there's, I don't stand a chance. There's no way in hell I'm going to win this thing. I'm just going to get, up, you know, get disappointed when I lose. And it just sat there. And come November, I think, was when the, um, the deadline for submissions was. And I just thought about it again, and I was like, well, I might as well try. So I went back and I did a second draft, kind of polished it up a little bit, just submitted it, 
shot it off. I was like, I didn't even tell anyone really that I had done it. I was like, yeah, we'll see. I highly doubt anything will happen. Um, and then Mark had said he would announce it on December 23rd, which is his birthday. Mm-hmm. A Christmas gift to fans. Exactly. I remember he ex- exactly. <laughs> called it out at. And I... <laughs> so this is... Oh, well, to the creators. To the creators. Oh, yeah. the... <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. That's a little better. Yeah. It was... It was... Uh, oh, it, Miller. It Go turned ahead. out to be a weird day because I was at work. I, I, uh, I worked for a film studio and we were... We were basically off for the holiday. Everyone else in the office had left. Everybody was gone. I was the only person still at work. And I had very little to do because it's the day before Christmas Eve. Like, what am I going to be doing at work? So I'm just there in this dark office all by myself. I know in the back of my head, this is the day. This is the day. But I didn't want to tell anybody. My dad felt so bad for me that I'm at work by myself that he, like, came and took me to lunch. And I didn't even tell him because I was just like, oh, it's not going to happen. You know, this, uh, whatever. It's just, let's just get it over with. And Mark had said he was going to record a video to announce all the winners. And he was going to post it at, like, noon that day or something. So I'm following on Twitter. And Mark Mark is just posting, like, oh, damn it, my computer's not working. I can't get the (laughs) webcam to work. I'll write them up. Give me, like, two hours. So I'm like, oh, crap. i got to wait longer. So I'm just at work kind of fishing around. And then all of a sudden on Twitter I see... Uh, you know, congratulations to the winners of the Miller World Talent Search. And I'm like, oh, here, here we go. And I click on it. And it's this long post on the Miller World Forum. And I quickly scroll down to where the list of names are, of course. I miss everything else and just scroll straight down. And I see my name next to American Jesus. So it was myself and Steve Beach. And I have that brief, like, hit of endorphins. And then I immediately go, wait... I'm going to go back and read because maybe this is like the, these are the guys who really sucked. We're just going to put them up here to make fun of them. Like, whatever. Boy, this ha, is the runner-up list. Yeah, We're this, getting to the winners. Yeah, That'll be a video. Honorable mentions are here or whatever. So I go back and I read the whole thing and it looks like I won. And I have this just strange moment where I'm frozen for a second and then I hop out of my chair and run. Like, where my I'm, I, at the time, was an editor at the studio, so I was in this small edit suite and I run out into the main area where everybody normally is to tell somebody and I run out and the place is dark and there's no one there. So I'm just standing there <laughs> wow. by myself oh. having just received the greatest oh, wow. news of my career and I can tell no one. It was the saddest oh. but also oh. happiest moment. Oh. So I like start call- my well, dad. You're recreating it. We can say good job I now, think, right? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Hey. So I like I call my dad and because he had just left from lunch and like we're talking I ended up calling my mom and she's like crying on the phone and oh. it got so weird so all they the got the significance of oh, it oh yeah they absolutely did they've That's been fair. I mean I I say this not because they'll probably listen to this I have the most supportive parents in the world yeah. for what I do I'm incredibly lucky and so they 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 were floored by it I literally I was so like shaken and just like I have to walk I have to get out of here I have to go do something I decide I'm gonna go up to Starbucks Nice so I close, I close the office. I'm going nice to Starbucks. Choice. I am so wired. I haven't even had caffeine yet, and I'm so wired on just pure adrenaline. I go to get out of my car, and my hand slips, and I just punch the door of my car and, like, raise a welt oh. on the back of my hand. Like, it's the saddest. Just, this is what happens when you give a nerd good news. Like, yeah. it's just not good. It's a nerd version of a war wound. Exactly. Right? It is just not good right now. Um but yeah, but the, the the news went out and people were super cool online and and Mark was very cool reaching out to everybody. Um, and now, what does it mean? 
Yeah. Um, so pretty much right away, we got contacted by Rachel Fulton, who is the editor at Miller World. Uh, she's really phenomenal editor. Uh, she's great, and she reached out and, and kind of helped us retool stories a little bit and get things going. And it was a very smooth process. Miller World has handled most of the communication with artists and all that kind of stuff. It's very like it's it's like you were writing for the big two. It's it's very big big press deal. Yeah, not like Image where you're working like hand in hand with your artist. Right. I, I was very lucky. I reached out to Steve Beach and 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 just said, hey man, if you need anything, I'm here. Let uh-huh. me know. You're you know you're the guy who has to actually make this thing work. So yeah. right. whatever you need, let me know. And uh, but he he's such a freaking talented guy. He just slayed it. Um, so everyone and this was this was publicized with the with the contest. Everyone got paid standard DC Marvel page rates. Um, for writing, and then all proceeds from the annual go to Hero Initiative, which helps uh, aging comic book creators, comic book creators in need, things of that sort. So none of us or Miller World are making any money off the book, so any orders, anything people put in, it all goes to help other people. Nice. Um, book comes out on July 13th. Nice. Uh, was when it'll be in stores. There's, like I said, six stories, uh, all different ones. I have seen bits and pieces of each story okay. so far. I haven't actually read any. What does the book cost, like six bucks? Um, I'm actually not sure. I don't think they've. Uh, they might have put it in previews. Because I gotta get a copy. It was yeah. It's probably like, I think it was like four or five. Okay. Um, and um, but the stories in there, are genuinely, it's looking like it's a great, not just a great like. Oh, this was a competition, and now you get to read this. But like genuinely like, good. A genuinely good annual and a, a thing. If you're a fan of Miller's work, to get to see other people, no one else has ever touched his characters. He's right. never let his Miller World characters out of his reach before. So you get to see other voices and you get to see other artists. You get to see what it looks like when somebody other than John Romita Jr. is doing Kick-Ass. So, Stuff so, like that. So it's just a cool experience. What's this tour? I, I'm, that's what I'm trying to get yeah. to. What oh, yeah, the yeah. hell? And how, and how can they compensate you to be away from work? How does that work? Well, actually, I put this tour together uh, on my own. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be a local tour in North Carolina. Steve Dude, Beach. you are freaking ambitious, bro. Can I just say, <laughs> if I had to put like a subtitle on, on Cliff Bumgarner, it would be ambition. That's well, what you got to do. I know I, it is. Not that you're not he ambitious. You said 150%. Yeah. I get that. But I'm just saying, the theme is becoming very clear well, of what's bringing the success. Talent. And a lot of effort. We're trying. I mean, it, we're, I'm lucky enough that Steve uh, is from, he's from Pennsylvania, but his girlfriend has family here in, in Raleigh. So he's coming down the week of the 13th. We're going to be having a release party at Chapel Hill Comics uh, on that Wednesday. And then Friday, we'll be in Rocky Mountain at Arkham Comics. And then on Saturday, we wrap up the tour with our good friends at Ultimate uh, in Cary, or Ultimate Raleigh, but I consider it Cary, um, which is actually two minutes from my house so that'll be super fun and hang out with all those guys um, so, so we're, cool. we're trying to hopefully plan some maybe some extra stuff we can do during the signings and some cool stuff that we might have available uh, to help raise money for Hero Initiative but we're, we're still working out that but still all book proceeds will be going to charity for all the signings and, and uh, for all sales from here on out so that's awesome if you keep up with us on Facebook and stuff you'll see the Full times and addresses. And As a note, the annual is two ninety nine. Oh wow! Oh, nice. Cool, sweet. That's wow. Yeah, wow. And it's like a uh, thirty four pager, I think. Some of that, yeah. Some I think it's, it should so, be six stories, about yeah. four or five, and then some other stuff in yeah. there. Yeah. So. so that should be. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good deal. That's awesome. Um, and then uh, one more thing to button up your story yeah. would be uh, the documentary, right? Yes. Yeah. So let's talk about. So this was you said that. 
uh, at Oak City Comic Con, you yep. had made a little video kind of promoing it that's how yeah. Devin Allen and all of them. I like I said, I work at a film studio, and um, one of our our guys who's working with us at the time, his name's Brandon Clark. Brandon was the editor on uh, Brand New Nostalgia, uh, which it was a compilation book that went out a few years ago with a lot of really incredible, like young, aspiring artists, and a lot of those guys now are doing work for like Image. If you we heard just, that, apologies. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's having to juice up now. Yeah, dude. Um, but it was a really great book uh, that my buddy Brandon edited, and so he had kind of gotten into the comic book community that way and knew uh, Brockton McKinney and Alan Gill and Tommy Lee Edwards. Sure, sure. The, the big three behind, the big three. <laughs> in, behind NC Comic Con and had been reaching out to them about doing video. Did they want any video stuff that we could do? Um, so we shot a video at Oak City, uh, 2015, uh, when it was still, you know, the tiny show at the Hilton, and um, they liked it enough that they said, "Well, we want to do a documentary about NZ Comic Con." So we actually partnered with them. It's the company I worked for, Amazing Studios, partnered with um, uh, NZ Comic Con to do. It's a feature, technically feature length, about a 40 minute long. Uh, it's where it's 40 minutes. It's where it's sitting in the edit right now. A documentary called NC Comic Con. So it's the done. Movie. Yeah, the the rough cut is done. Uh, we're finishing up a couple of details in the rough, and then we just got to polish it. So wow. it'll be coming out. There will be a premiere in and around Durham in the next couple of months. We haven't finalized those details yet, and then it'll be playing pretty much nonstop. I think at NC Comic Con this year. So there'll be a lot of opportunities for people to see it. But it's just a fun look at the guys who make this show a reality and why they do it and how much they care. And genuinely care oh, about I know creating that. an experience. Yeah, Alan, for Alan is here. Alan he is, is literally phenomenal. He, yeah. I mean, he back in the I knew him, I know him from way back, and I knew him back when he had like multiple Ultimate Comics and a yeah. TCBY. You yeah, know? yeah. And that was like the origins. And he sold the TCBY, and all his whole goal was to be like to give people a local comic book shop. You know, that was you know national of national national stature. Yeah. Now it's now he has two. One in Chapel Hill. One in in carry right yeah um, and uh, apparently according to facebook today three is coming soon yeah it's awesome yeah it is, yeah that's, that's awesome that. but i mean the dude's really legit it seems like all he wants to do is like have fun spread comics yeah and like pass comics on to his son yeah you know? absolutely I mean, it's, it's just it's all about you know passion. what he named his uh, baby what TJ richard grayson gill <laughs> I mean, I mean it's, it's so apropos. <laughs> and I mean, you got to. I talked to oh, Alan's wow. wife. She just loved the name and did not know it was comic book related yeah. until later. <laughs> well, because they call him Gray. They don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so yeah. It, it, it Which I was like, well done, done, Alan. That is smart, my it was friend. Fantastic. It was one of these got, little, like, slipping in there. He got it <laughs> past. He got it well done. But yeah, they, those guys genuinely, that's what bowled me over when I met them and started uh-huh. working is how much they care, how much it means to them. I mean, Tommy Lee Edwards obviously has been doing this stuff for over 20 years. He's one of the best artists in the business, and he wants nothing more than to create a place where, just like we talked about, if you're a young creator and you're an aspiring creator and you want to break in, NC Comic Con is the best place I've ever been for people who are just starting out. Wow. Because you can go, and their, their panels are geared towards saying, here's how you can become a creator. Or if you're a creator now, here's what you can do next. That's their whole focus, and they've really they've created a, a special, special place. And it was an honor to get to help to tell their story. Uh, and the documentary is just as weird and fun as those guys are. So uh, I can't wait to see it. Yeah, yeah, I'm hoping people enjoy it. There's a tra- there's a teaser trailer out now. If you go to NC Comic Con's uh, YouTube page, um, and then we'll have in the coming months more details, trailer, full trailer, posters, 
all that stuff. One, one last thing that I want to ask you about, because I've done a lot of uh, uh, film editing mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, making in the past, all amateur stuff, but a lot of yeah. it. Um, Editing's torture, is it not? This, <laughs> yeah. this was the... I mean, that's what I did for the longest time when I was first starting out was editing. So I mean, that's it's, my it's, background. It's, it's miserable and, but glorious. Yeah. Well, it's 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 very much like writing. It's it's yeah. just... It's constant redrafting. This one was the hardest edit I've ever had. I knew that was coming. I just had a feeling. We had... Well, from the... from On Saturday night of NC Comic Con, they do... Last year, they did the very first what they call Guardians of the Gala. Which yep. is a huge cosplay ball party that they threw from that party alone which was only about three four hours uh-huh. long we had four cameras running with operators all across the floor resulting in close to five hours of footage yeah for something that in the documentary takes up about 10 minutes yeah so it was just a process you were pouring through mad footage yes I did not technically finish the rough cut until last week and NC Comic Con was November 13th of last year mm-hmm. um, it is it, yeah I mean, it doesn't it's, sound at all surprising it's been a monster they always say it for writing to, but, but writing you know you'll have a script and maybe you have to cut a little bit or cut yeah. a few things but it's like I have to imagine there's a lot of kill your darlings oh, in man. that yeah. process there, well there's so much stuff especially with these guys there's so much humor that we ended up having to cut because it was only funny to us. Like, it's not, it's jokes and different things that if you know those guys are really funny and if yeah. you don't, are borderline wrong. <laughs> you know? Because yeah. you're in the heat of the moment, everybody's stressed, everybody's tired, like, none, nothing makes any sense anymore. So there was a lot of that kind of stuff that we just had to cut down. Uh, that's why in the end, it's it's about television documentary length at about mm-hmm. 40 minutes. Right. That's but, smart. Yeah, it, it is. That's yeah. smart. We wanted originally, I was hoping when I first started out to be a full-on like hour-long doc. And then I realized, and I was heading that direction, and then I realized this is about three days. At, yeah. the, at the end of it, this is really about three days. Yeah. And it's very, so how we ended up cutting it, it's very experiential. It's very much, um, it's just kind of like you're there through each day we're not really we don't really do a lot of hand holding we don't do a lot of like here's how a comic book convention works you know here's here's what a panel is or any of that kind of we don't do a lot of that sort of stuff we, it's really made for fans and for people who yep. are kind of going to get that and you just experience the behind the scenes of what it took to make that possible that's cool that's cool i mean i think what i think that sounds very smart in in light of the fact that you're looking at your audience yeah as opposed to thinking like, "Ooh, I'm going to sit back and be like an auteur. Right. It's rather, it's like, this is what, we're playing this at Comic-Con, that's going to be one of, and at the event, right. that's going to be one of the primary outlets for this. Right. And all kinds of fans of the event that already go to the event. Right. Like how, and then, you know, local people around here want to know what, what it's all about. But if you, if you took, if you take that as, as your audience, that yeah. makes a whole lot of sense as opposed to having it be like. Uh, indie game the movie for yeah, example yeah. where that's I mean it's awesome for all of us but it's also a primer you know right. if that's the way you say that well um, we, we were we were lucky in the sense that a lot of the people in the studio well in fact everyone Brandon uh, Clark has since moved on from the studio but a lot of people in the studio don't have any comics experience they didn't yeah. they didn't get any of this so watching the rough cut like our our, our owner he said I don't you know I only know about this what I've seen in the movies, and yet this still made sense to me. So you have that. So too. we have that. We have a little bit of that. It's really made for the comic loving audience. But if you're not, or if you if you don't if you don't know about NC Comic Con, you're not from North Carolina. You're not whatever. You're not going to miss out either. Nice. Which was, it's value add, not nice. a restriction. Exactly. Which is what I honestly yeah. that's why Indie Game the movie is such a great documentary right. because you can know like. It, 
And and one of the things a lot of people say about that movie is, is what you show to people to show why you love gaming. Right. And that's a, I, it sounds like something you can maybe get out of this. I, I hope, I, I really do hope in the end that, that th- this documentary shows people why conventions matter. Um, I remember when I went to my first convention, it was Heroes Con, and again, I was with my dad. He has he keeps coming up in these stories. Um, but I remember... We got a sweet spot for here. Just to give you context, we love some Heroes Con in this room here. I'm a Charlotte native, so... Oh, cool. He introduced me to Heroes Con about five years ago, maybe six. And we've been, I've been going ever since. And then this is Kevin's first year, but he's been yep, hearing about so. it forever. Yep. But like Heroes Con is all the buzz, especially right now. We're less than a week away. Yeah, I'll it's be down noting. there as well. Can awesome. See you guys yeah, we should definitely oh, do definitely. some stuff yeah, there. But it's also worth noting, just as a side note, North Carolina is a great state to be a comic book fan. It's, in. it's phenomenal. I'm, thank you for bringing that up. Yes, that is. It's surprising how many legends we have here. Yeah. From Tommy Lee Edwards, Richard Case, Hickman. Yeah, I mean, everyone. he doesn't live here anymore. Maybe. He yeah, does. I think he moved. But it's crazy, and Heroes Con brings in, I mean, Francesco Francavilla is there this year, and uh, I think Matt Fraction's in mm-hmm. town this year. And Gerard Way. He'll be... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, we, don't, we don't really want to get on this one. No, no. <laughs> quick, quick version of it. He, uh, Rich, uh, I have an irrational hatred of Gerard Way <laughs> as, like, as a comic creator. Not yeah, but also your, uh-huh. also your music background, too. Like, yeah, it also he, comes from me. I was in an emo band. And, oh, okay. And so all of that kind of shit, I just... I, uh, he has I a rage towards... He's technically making comics on music. He's technically one of the stars of the documentary, so I cannot comment. Okay. <laughs> he is, uh, it's a playful thing. Like he, I'm he just joking. Look, yeah, he look at another podcast for his full rant. <laughs> right. It's just to. really a joke, but it just irritates me because it's like, oh, he was so like beloved and famous in music. Like, stick to that. <laughs> <laughs> but what it was there just... are other comic book creators that need to become comic. Anyway, <laughs> go. But anyway. but to, to to the point of Heroes Con, the, it was my very first show, and I was in line with my dad and of course everyone's in cosplay and everyone's you know it's a world that my dad doesn't know anything about i remember him looking around and just being wide-eyed and he kind of looked at me like what have you brought me to like what is i don't understand sure and i said dad the thing is this is the only one of the only places in the world where these people get to come and just be them and after i said that he went oh and he had a blast once he got that this is a this is a home it really blew him away, and that's something we want to do with the documentary. And I hope, and I hope that we we do, and I hope we leave people with the impression of showing how Comic Con isn't just an event. It's not just a thing you do for a few days. It's not just for creators, but it's it's a home. It's a place where yeah. you know we all get to go, and it's like we make the pilgrimage once or twice a year, and we all get to go and and enjoy the stuff we love. Well, and everybody has their home show or their yeah. home two shows, right. ones they go to every year. I think right. for me, it's MAGFest and Heroes Con, yeah. and and everybody's got a list like that, you know. And some people just go to con after con, yeah. But and and they feel so at home there that they make it three hundred sixty five days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, but that's that's interesting, and that's what the guys in <coughs> Comic Con ultimately have done. They saw that for them, for this area, there wasn't a home. Mm-hmm. There wasn't. There was a. There was there's a whole, Charlotte, there was but a there's void. not. There's right. not the triangle for Durham for this whole area. It was just kind of starved for something that you know. There are small shows around the yeah. area, but nothing. Oh, we had an animesment, but that's right. But uh, which is a great one. But yeah, we needed more of a comics based one. Right. Well, also, also a show is not just as as we all know, especially you now having done documentary about it a show is so much more than just that day or those oh, three yeah. days it's the whole lead up to it it's like little sub events it's the yeah. conversation surrounding it it's all year there's pamphlets like we have a con it's our con yeah. it's, it, have, it becomes a thing right I've set in on a lot of those meetings now for NC Comic Con and Oak City Comic Con and it's mind blowing to me 
what it takes to put on a show. And, and we talk about this in the documentary, but we shot, the last part of the documentary we shot uh, in early January. It was our final interviews. And at that point, it was only, you know, month and a half out from previous NC Comic Con, Christmas in the middle of all that, and yet they'd still had about nine meetings about the next year's show in that time. It's the, the amount of work that goes into putting on something of that mm. caliber it hurts my brain. I'm used to the amount of work that goes into making a movie or a book, and that right. and that's just no small feat, right? right? That's that's crazy in and of itself. And then to see what it takes to do a show, yeah. Our um our friend and former co-host Tim McNeil, he does he does that basically for uh, Magfest. He runs panels. Oh, cool. And uh, they created actually a por- yeah, he created a, a like an academic section mm-hmm. for for gaming that they do there. And uh, I carpool to work with him, and it's just constantly all throughout the year. It's just yeah, you know, I got to get this done by it never by stops. Time. Yeah, it's and it's it's people don't I think realize just how much work goes into it. Kind of yeah. like comics too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, yeah, and now like, oh, that only happens once a year. It's not that hard, yeah. right? Yeah. And now, and now oh, a couple days before, oh they yeah, get yeah, yeah. It out or... oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And these same guys now are doing Oak City Comic Con. You know, now it's going to be a two day show yeah. next year yeah. in Raleigh. So they're that's basically like doing two NZ Comic Cons. Yeah, it's yeah. growing. Honestly, it's, it's crazy. Growing. That's awesome. But it's just great because as someone who is, you know, starting out and theoretically going to start tabling soon, right. there's a lot of opportunities where you don't have right. to. Absolutely. Because it is, a, it is a cost to go to another state and get a hotel yeah. right. and buy the table. Right. To be able to go like, oh, I can just be at home or visit my parents and then we visit just, these little areas. For, for Internet Picnic, we just did our first table ever at Oak City yeah. this year where, where I met you guys. And, I mean, that's... Yet again, another experience that I had never had before. That was amazing. That was the other thing. Can you talk a little bit about Internet Picnic? Yeah, sure, yeah. sure, sure, sure. Um, we just, our Internet Picnic is, we, we like to say that we are two guys, myself and my friend Jeremiah, uh, we're two guys who spend way too much time on the Internet and we wanted to find a way to make it productive. <laughs> so, <laughs> that makes sense. So yeah. we... Um, and we, all the media you consume too. Absolutely. So it's an it's a entertainment-based site. Right now we mainly feature on games, comics, and film. But we cover a little bit of everything from time to time. Um, and we do a mixture of news, reviews, features, and then a lot of original content is what we're really trying to focus on now. Original articles, essays, features, different stuff. We've done interviews with everyone from Brockton McKinney from NC Comic Con. We just had an interview go up with Hoyt Silva, who's a really amazing artist out of uh, Atlanta, who will be at Heroes Con next weekend. Uh, he's working now with Action Lab, and he's just he's he blows my mind. He has like a uh, uh, Michael Avon Oming, Mike Mignola kind of style, and he's phenomenal. So we're we just we we, we do a lot of the you know your your kind of geek entertainment stuff, but for us, we, he, Jeremiah and I are both writers. Jeremiah has a history in um, design and art direction and animation from agency days. He art directed commercials for like. True Moo, and um, uh, he worked with the cinematographer for Batman v Superman on a Airheads commercial. Nice, like that's, that's prestigious. His, that's now, his which whole of history. those two is more legit? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> BBS or the Airheads ad? The Airheads ad had a more coherent story. I will say that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But um, so his background is very much in in that kind of high end agency, and and he. He's just he's a, a great guy with a lot of, of uh, knowledge about gaming and a lot of interest. So he and I are both writers. We both come from that sort of background. And we, frankly, got tired of entertainment sites being crappily written. Yeah. Nobody cares. There's, the, the, there's like the big four or five sites out there, and they're garbage. And I don't say that in like a let's throw shade sort of way. It's just the writing. We, we want 
if if someone's going to spend a lot of their time going on and reading an article, they need to get something for it. Um, and so we started the site with that kind of goal. And we also, we don't play into clickbait. It's a big thing for us. We only write articles about things we like. We don't write negative reviews. We don't write, because we want to be the site that if you see it featured on Internet Picnic, you go, oh, that's worth me checking out. Right. Um, that's our whole goal. And I mean, you know, because we're not doing clickbait, <laughs> the, it's been a slow road because you're not and your aspirations into that. are different, though. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you want to maybe one day be like uh, the next Kotaku or that kind of thing. Something. Or? Yeah, we don't. We don't even really, you know, know. Um, like what's what's the out. archetype? I guess that, that that you're creating your own. Yeah, we're kind of creating our own. I mean, the, I would say my favorite of the that, that I look up to is AV Club. I think AV Club has... Uh, Jordan is a huge fan as well. AV Club is a great website. AV Club has some of the best writing out there, I think, for, for this kind of stuff. And they've, they've been really impressive um, to me. Uh, and so we look up to those guys. They were a big influence early on. But we also just, you know, we're trying... We're, we're experimenting. It's been fun. It's something we do, you know, it's, it's a, one of our main projects. But we also work full-time jobs. Right. Jeremiah does freelancing in his industry. I, you know, obviously I'm writing and making all this other stuff. So it's something that it's sort of on the side right now that we play around with. We do new stuff. We try. We get to just kind of screw around mm-hmm. um, and see what works and see what doesn't. And it's it's been a really fun process. Um, well, you know, um, speaking of, of that and how you sort yeah. of cover all of uh, all of media and pop culture and, and different yeah. and different stuff. Why don't we um, Why don't we sort of segue into a roundtable and, sure. and talk yeah. a little bit about the stuff we've been enjoying lately? Sure. Um, and discuss that stuff. Um, uh-huh. Do you have one you ready with Jordan? Something you've been checking out lately? Uh, yes. Okay. I, I guess I could start. Yeah, uh, yeah. Start it off. Shotgun. Um, well, last episode I had talked about finally getting into Hellboy. Yeah. In a oh, huge awesome. way. Um, that's only grown. I I just finished the second VPRD omnibus. So, uh, <laughs> oh, wow. I, I, He's on what? What you're on? Hellboy Seven. Right. Yeah, this is just over the past couple of months. Um, I, I maybe just, even less. It, it, it seems like the last month. Like, yeah. In fairness, a lot you can find a lot of Hellboy at used bookstores didn't because they're like, so yeah. old. And there's like so a many. Ago, a week ago, you read like 13 trades in a week or something like that. Well, I was um, wow. I was off. Uh, I, I work well. I work at a college, so I there are a lot of um, between semester break periods. Yeah. So I've been on one of those where it's like, well, I'm going to read a lot. And <laughs> I read a lot. <laughs> Um, also, I'm pretty jazzed for Heroes Con, so I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm reading a lot anyway. But uh, I've, I've been doing a lot of Hellboy, and I finally watched the Hellboy movie, because a big reason I hadn't watched it is I kind of wanted to get to where they oh, roughly were. That's so funny you would say that. I, I just dug up, because you've been talking about Hellboy a lot lately. I dug up. I have a copy of it. I've been thinking about checking it out. Anyway, go ahead. Well, uh, I finally watched it, and it, it's actually a really fun film. Um, I it's it. Yeah? yeah? It's oh, fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really fun movie. There were a few things that it definitely did change from the comics, but I yeah. think were, were good things. The biggest one that's kind of weird is it introduces a bit of a romance, Beauty and the Beast kind of subplot mm-hmm. with yeah. Hellboy and uh, Liz Sherman, and then the new like uh, Kitty. I, I want to say Kitty Pride because that's the in <laughs> character, but the the like uh, the viewpoint character for yeah. the movie that they kind of sure. create out of whole cloth. Um, but for the most part, it follows the first trade. It it, it really does sort of like. It gives you everything that Hellboy takes about a decade and a half to build up to and <laughs> yeah. shoves it into one movie because you have to with a movie. Right. Um, and it was just a really fun time. Guillermo del Toro is obviously a huge fan of monsters. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at Pan's Labyrinth on Kevin's shelf and I'm going to ask oh, yes. him to borrow it because I haven't actually seen really? that. Really? Uh, 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 anytime. But 
it, it's just a, a really good time. My biggest thing I would say about it is uh, it's it's a good pl- it's a good way to be introduced to Hellboy. Yeah. Um, and I think it can drive you to the books. The books, in general, are just a very unique... Mike Mignola's storytelling is very much... You can tell it's his book. Yeah. Um, it's so hard to describe. It's just like... It is, it's really? Its, own thing. it's very visually based. Very um, visual, but, but also, it's, it has this like classic essence to it mm-hmm. that it's hard to... But then there's humor, there's... You know, there's just like... I, there's just... It's really hard to put the word in. I need to, I need to give it a chance... Oh, it's great. Because it. for me, I, I just was always so turned off by, excuse me, the art's beautiful, but it's not my kind of art. Mm, okay. um, the tones are, the, the colors, it's very red, uh-huh. <laughs> obviously, uh, red, black, and brown kind of look. Um, so it just doesn't really appeal to me. And also, it's sometimes hard, not always. Uh, the book Frankenstein, Agents of Shade, for example, Lemire took over back on uh, New 52. Like That book really was able to humanize monstrous creatures really well for me but oftentimes I'm really off put when a character is mm-hmm. that unrelatable to me it's hard for me to like give a shit about the plight of you know a beast from hell um that said if it's done really well you forget about that and you're just yeah. in the you story know, the, so I, I just need to give it a chance but that's yeah. what's been throwing me off the same argument has been applied to uh, DC by hardcore Marvel fans sure because I mean you know when you look at the demigods and all the yeah. mythological components of DC people who like the more humanistic superheroes right or, and but you know and, and to me i'm like you know you give it if you really can do it you, there really is a lot of humanized characters in there that's awesome well yeah i would i would almost say and i'm pulling this completely out of nowhere but i think hellboy actually actually captures both marvel and dc spirits in its simple it character because mm-hmm. yeah. yeah hellboy is a larger than life figure and he's destined to destroy the world but you know he's he doesn't want to and he, yeah, he's just dude. a guy yeah. yeah and a big help honestly i think with that humanization is ron perlman in the movie yeah, yeah. the way he yeah. plays hellboy is very sympathetic yes because you you really feel for kind of what he's going through and how he you know being a demon affects how people are going to look at you and mm-hmm. how what you can do in the world and stuff like that that helped me when I went to the books. Yeah, because the Having movie... that sort of emotion already tied to the character. Yeah, the movie really sets him up as even more of an outcast, because in the movie he's just, he's a myth, they keep him locked in a bank yeah. vault, it's very yeah. much, he's a secret, he shouldn't be allowed out. Because right. in the books he's just sort of like, everyone kind of accepts that demons are real <laughs> right. in the Hellboy right. universe. You're, you're in the, it's, comic rules apply, right. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, but the movie just does a great job of introducing a lot of the mythos, a lot of the big characters, um... And I know the sequel introduces even more elements from the book, while also telling an original story. Yeah, I am excited to check it out. Um, but yeah, I, I was I was happy. It's on Netflix right now, so all you have to do is just kind of log on and, and check it out. I think it's a fun time. Have you seen Golden Army? Yeah. No, I've not. Exactly. Uh, that I need to see. I'll probably pick it up at a used. DVD you'll watch store it, and then you'll be lamenting over how Hellboy three is never gonna happen. True, but you know, there's still there's a crazy amount of Hellboy out there. There is, oh, there yeah. is. There's, yeah. there's no the short. The, no, there's the animated stuff too. Yeah, yeah there's animated. Yeah. There's there's really dozens, yeah, I've seen that. dozens of trades across like five, six different ongoing miniseries. Seems like the way to do that. That's actually I was gonna talk yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I've seen screenshots of it. It very much captures Manuel's yeah. style very well. I think. Well, and speaking around Parliament, have you any of you seen the Beauty and the Beast TV series with him and Linda Hamilton? I know it exists. Oh, I, I, I didn't know that was no, him. No, it's actually like, like I don't know. It's kind of okay. George R. R. Martin was a key writer on it. Really? So, yes. Wow. What? Yeah, he was. So, like, it's not as like cheesy as it looks. It's kind of it's kind of a cool meshing of like 
the cl- the basic Beauty and the Beast story. Watch set what you in say. We're recording. To, well, the what? <laughs> so watch what you say. We're recording. It was a joke. Okay. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. But like set in a modern. Day, I don't know. It's kind of one of those like, yeah. It's like it's like a B movie show kind of thing. Like I there's it's a it, there's things I actually really like about it. But but I mean it's Ron Perlman. So well, well, no. I mean that's watch. no. That's that's interesting. Um, you know, it's one of those things that I mean, it's impossible to look at like a, a photo of that show and not like cringe laugh. slash yeah, laugh a right, little right, bit. Right. Yeah. But I can see it being legit. I don't know. Yeah, sort of. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of older shows that are worth revisiting, but that that I did not know that. About I'll George give you R. an Martin. example of one that you I had you. a lot of trouble giving credit or like even giving a watch to when you were trying to do Farscape. <laughs> and I was watching those those Muppets or those those Jim Henson like monsters and they were like throwing up like little like cotton phlegm and I was just like, What am I watching? What was that dude throwing up like or spitting? Like I, I don't remember. I, I keep trying to watch Farscape and I just can't get into it. I, I want to Yeah, I've never I've never tried. So many, many people, people so many people praise it and I I don't know. It's a weird one. But speaking of Muppets, I, I do have one other thing that I can mention that is related to Muppets uh-huh. because I watched uh Labyrinth with David Bowie over oh, this past wow. weekend. Oh, I saw that out, yeah. Yeah, uh, and the I don't know, I, I like 80s dark fantasy movies, of which there are a surprising amount. <laughs> uh, and I'd never seen Labyrinth, and so it was at Target for five bucks, and I was like, eh, why not? And also, I've been playing around with the idea of a kind of 80s inspired dark fantasy story, so it's like, this is research. Yeah, yeah. I can call it that. <laughs> I'll write yeah. it off on the track. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's right <laughs> off, exactly. Um, but it was a fun time. I mean, obviously... David Bowie's just having a blast. He's, Doesn't hurt to see David uh, Bowie. He's and look, cool. how, okay, yeah. like Terry Jones wrote it. Jim Henson was on it. George yeah. Lucas produced. It. Like, look at how many. It's got a pedigree. It really does. Put and, that together. and actually, the coolest thing on it. Well, the movie was great. I, I actually really enjoyed it. I think it's worth revisiting if you haven't yeah. seen it in a while or uh, have never seen it. It really holds up well. But the the DVD has this full hour-long documentary with nice. Jim Henson, oh, David great. Bowie, all the choreographers, the performers, uh, Jennifer Connelly, and they're all just talking about it. And it's, it's one of those weird things when you see, like, multiple creative giants all talking about how much they're in reverence of one another. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's good to be reminded. Yeah, they're people too, even though they're also like gods of, of animation yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and movie and music and all that. But it's just a really interesting documentary. And really, anytime I, you get to see the behind the scenes of the Muppets is fascinating because they do such yeah. a great job of, you know, making them seem real. Um, I don't really have a lot to say on Labyrinth. It, it, it does follow that similar structure of like, young character fantasy setting they meet three companions along their journey they take out the bad guy i mean yeah. it's a very familiar plot sure. but well, it's a fairy tale it's a fairy tale yeah, yeah. And, and i think that's one place where it benefits from having that um yeah. outline it just lets you enjoy the unique visuals and the creative locations uh, a lot more so yeah labyrinth was cool uh, i kind of i guess i'm on a fantasy kick in general between that and hellboy and yeah. uh, i sure. want to check out some other stuff but uh that's not a bad thing to be on a kick about no, I'm not usually the biggest fantasy guy, though, so it's it's interesting for me to, to be. But yeah, I actually, like, Return to Oz is one of my favorite all-time films, and that's another hmm. dark 80s fantasy film. Interesting. Um, I, I sense another uh, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme-esque uh, deep dive. <laughs> <laughs> he saw um, uh, Sense8. Oh, wow. Um, and on Sense8, have you seen it? No, I On Sense8, there's a character uh, who has a van, and he calls the van Van Damme. And, and Van Damme is his... character. And Van Damme is his, like... It's, it's awesome. He's like a Nigerian or something. Yeah, he's, yeah. yeah. And, his, and so it's like his idol is Van Damme. And so ever since then, uh, Jordan and one of our other hosts, um, Kelsey, 
uh, just went on a tear through all like the dorky or like the cheesy eighties movies, oh. especially anything with Jean Claude. Because he watches a lot of that show, and it was. Yeah. Like, I also like cheesy action movies in general, but yeah, we had a bit of a Jean Claude Van Damme kick. It was uh, a deep fucking dark. <laughs> I, I actually I can appreciate that because I spent my Memorial Day with the dudes from NC Comic Con watching Hard Target. Oh, John Woo, hard target. With that, that nice arrow on the and that yes, amazing mullet. Yes, that amazing mullet. The he's thing, the, the the moment in it though that kills me is Wilford Brimley riding a horse with a bow and arrow away from a giant explosion. That does not happen. It well, does. I have a picture of it on my phone. I will show uh, you afterwards just, because we all paused it and got up and started taking pictures because oh we God. couldn't believe it was a real thing. That's, that's like at the con last year we watched Remo like, Williams. Oh like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's like the kind of thing where you're like, that has to be photoshopped. Nope, nope, yeah. it's real. <laughs> I know. I, I sent it to my friends and just said, here's a reminder that no matter what you do in this life, you will never be as cool as Wilford Brimley yes. riding a horse away <laughs> from a giant Chuck explosion. Norris, dude. Oh, yeah. I know. The, the meme, I can see it right now. <laughs> Wilford oh, Brimley on a horse. Yeah, that would be great. That needs to be a thing. It does. Internet, start, start it up. up. Yes, Why yes, yes. Listeners, take it on. <laughs> um, Kevin, okay. why don't you yeah, go to Okay, sounds good. So, I want to talk some DC stuff first. So, yeah. we touched on Rebirth in the last episode, um, but now I've gotten to read some of the solo books, because right now they're in the... The way Rebirth is set up, they have their, this one-shot special that launched it all. Then there are there's a number one for each of the big characters, but that's not, like, the first issue in their... It's like a number one, but it's more their tie-in issues to that mm-hmm. uh, special. Um, so those have come out, and then all the new series start launching this I'm, week. I'm sure we'll get um, that ridiculously unwieldy DC Rebirth omnibus. Yes. <laughs> as long as it's we not as, as long as it's not as like completely unnecessary feeling as those convergence trades. No, this, I don't think. Uh, from what I've yeah. seen, now, I don't think so. This is what I was, convergence trades are like the most ludicrous trades. Anyway, they just like hodgepodge together convergence miniseries. Mm-hmm. They're based around this, Eris, roughly, kind of. So I've not gotten to read all of them yet, but I got to read Wonder Woman and Flash this week, um, both of which I thoroughly enjoyed. Because um, you know, I talked about the Rebirth special. You reviewed it. We talked about it on the podcast. Um, so the Wonder Woman story is more it's a, it's really cool it's a testament to greg ruckus writing that he can make an issue mostly comprised of narration dude ruckus so is one of the best yeah. comics book writers i forgot i forgot they had Rucka on wonder woman he did that's that's i thing. forgot so this is, just reminded so me this is a return of the character for him um so most of the issue is her kind of reflecting and doing some soul searching because um you think about just you know the new 52 superman died um even though the uh, all the heroes don't exactly know what this outer outside force that's tampering with them yeah. is, which is Dr. Manhattan, um, they're feeling the effects of it. So she's dealing with that. She's trying to find out who she is, and she's uh, keep, she keeps repeating this phrase of the story keeps changing. So it reminded me of that Reaper special because I saw both of these as really high meta commentary. Mm. Um, and so yeah, yeah. she's just kind of like reflecting on who she is. And at the end, she returns to Olympus to try to find answers, oh, cool. and then finds that it's things aren't as they seem, and um, and then it leaves you with that. So it sets up, you know, the next series really well. Um, and is it's there really is there any of the Azarello vibe? Um, you remember that run? I would say. Well, what I like about Wonder Woman and Flash. Rebirth is clearly going for a more retro aesthetic, but I think it retains a lot of the New 52 as well. So, yes, I, I would say 
Well, because you know, because you know, there was that brilliant Azarello run that everybody like. Oh yeah, you read yeah, it yeah. all or almost all of it. Almost all of it. People yeah. like just lauded. Oh yeah, that was, was like fun. it made it made you know Wonder Woman relevant again. Sure, really, sure. I mean, or at least something everybody was the top of their 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 pull list, and then um, that ended, and then right. they brought on. Um, I forget. Yeah. Meredith, what was her name? Mer- David and Meredith Finch as the yeah. Creative so they, they were like yeah, David. Yeah. Da- I mean, I, I don't want to denigrate Meredith Finch, but you know, they were like, we got to get David Finch, and mm-hmm. then I guess they were just like, hey, your wife can write it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how it happened. Maybe maybe she's an amazing writer. But the way it well, turned out, the way it turned I've out, I read the, those issues. The run Outside. is not beloved, <laughs> and it's like what six seven issues. No, it's a, I think it's three trades worth. What? Yeah, I mean, three Meredith Finch trades. She wrote through wow. issue fifty two, and um, they started around issue thirty six, thirty seven. So yeah, it's about three trades worth of okay. their run. Yeah, I read the first issue of this, and it was um, not the best. Yeah, just because okay. I don't even know. I feel like. I don't want to. I don't want to lambast them because Wonder Woman is a hard character. I mean, it is. It the is. Azarello run is like the first understand. one that is universally beloved. Well, that's the thing that's, that it did, though, is why I mention it is right. because it did, it brought it. It made Wonder Woman a completely different story. It wasn't about Wonder Woman as a member of the Trinity, right, or right. even as even in 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 the fifty two. It was like it was it was almost an Elseworlds tale. It was and a Greek myth story. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's what people fail to understand because yes, she is the go to female superhero that everyone knows. But she's a hard character, right? And yeah, to like yeah. produce an original story on, and that's what has what excited me about this issue and where the series will go from here is. I think he's trying to take it in a new direction, one that definitely pays homage to everything that's come before it. Because there's a really great splash page on it um, that ha- features pretty much all, all these iconic moments from her life. You've got stuff with her on the mascara, and then her romance with the new Fifty Two Superman. Um, all beautifully drawn. There were actually three artists on this because they had, oh, wow. I think one one or two did the first like fifteen fifteen pages. Why does Rucka always have the most fucked up production? <laughs> well, I don't know. If always, it, it might have been intent. I don't know. He's if like, was... yeah, I wrote the first three issues, and then we have a new writer coming on board. Like, come on, dude, well, no, I don't, write like, an arc. Well, I think uh, the art, though, like, I, it might have been intentional because, like, right. the look change. Because when she goes to Olympus, it's meant to. That's uh, cool. So, That's I, I like think, when they do that. So I. I think it was intentional. Just but Rucka is just, the, he just can't, he just like, he refuses, and maybe this is to his credit, but he just refuses to be like a high volume comic book writer. Mm-hmm. Like he just like, I'm going to do, he took over the Cyclops, uh, he did like the Cyclops reboot as a, as a solo character mm-hmm. for, for, for Marvel. He did five issues and then he was like, yeah, I'm done. Like, come on, dude, yeah. give me a um, run. <laughs> the, now this was my question because I've seen that yes. spread and it seems like they're really going for this idea of refocusing the origin a little bit because I know they the, mm-hmm. another spoiler for rebirth is that she has a twin brother. Yeah. Uh, it strikes me yeah, as yeah. kind of being like and this is this is this is showing how how long I've been reading comics about a decade to 12 15 years ago they did like a very similar who is Donna Troy because okay. where Wonder Woman isn't really known Wonder Girl was like a mess of continuity. Okay. And then they sort of like were like are we going to try and restructure it? I don't know that that took for very long because uh-huh. no one seems to have a actually in fact I know the new 52 has a new introduction for Donna Troy too so. Okay. Okay. Um in the Finch run. Um, so what was your question? My qu- my question is does it seem like he's really going to be branching out and doing a new definitive origin type take or it's hard to tell from this one it's sort of she's the story more keeps asking changing. the story keeps changing <laughs> no it's literally that phrase is repeated yeah. by her multiple times and it the i mean i'm saying there's hardly any dialogue in this issue it's mostly her hmm. recounting and so the basic origin is there um just a basic element i mean i'm not a wonder woman expert but um it could go in that direction it's hard to tell at this point mm-hmm. if they're you know um Flash, on the other hand, which is the other one I read, 
I actually enjoyed a little bit more. I, I thought both were great issues, don't get me wrong, but I, I, the Flash one I liked a little more. Um, so Joshua Williamson wrote it. Oh, um, and Yeah, that's the end. He's known for a lot of these creator-owned horror books and all that, and I think he brings just a really nice angle to this. So in the beginning, he makes you think that he's rehashing Barry's origin, but it's actually Barry investigating a murder case it's strikingly similar Ooh, to his mother's. Smart. And that was Murder a really clever mystery. story. I was like, that was smart. And so most of the issue, it, it's sort of an extension of the dialogue between him and Wally in the Rebirth issue. Like, Rich, I know you haven't read the Rebirth one yeah. yet, but it, while it's Wally West is the central figure yeah. and narrator of it. Yeah, you and, were telling us last time. Yeah. Right. And so it's an extension of that dialogue when they come face-to-face and um, realize that you know someone's altered with the timeline and all that. So the key characters he interacts with are Wally, uh, Henry Allen, and Batman at the end. And so um, it also sets the stage for, I think, where the story's going to go. Um, there's another really great two-parter splash between of Barry and Wally running down the streets of Central City. It's really cool. cool. Um, and, yeah, and so I don't really think he's going to really change his origin. Like, he doesn't really need to, especially with the Flash's popularity right now between the show and everything. Yeah. Um, so I think it is a new story, which I'm really excited about. Um, and I read an interview with Williamson talking about how he's created a new villain for it and all that. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so I'm really excited about that run. Um, and then the other ones I haven't gotten to yet, but... I'm because uh, I'm gonna wait for trades mostly for yeah. rebirth, but Ultimate's letting me do some reviews, so That's awesome. any ones I pick up for free, um, I can review. Um, so those are the comics I wanted to hit on. Also, on a DC note, I did an article this past week on my favorite DC animated movies, and so I had to go back and kind of have you watched either. them all? Not all of them, but like all the big ones, I needed to, and yeah. that was. The, and so there were well, some. It's your favorites. I was just wondering what your sure, sure. Was. Like, like I haven't seen Batman: Bad Blood yet, or mm-hmm. um, Teen Titans versus Justice League. Some of the newer ones, um, but like all the, I focused on once in the last decade, and there were some I hadn't gotten around to, and I watched this week. So nice. I watched um, Batman: Assault on Arkham, which is the Suicide Squad movie. I have that one. Excellent. Home. I, I haven't seen it yet. I loved it. I know that that's supposed to like somewhat of the design doc for the film. And it mm. should be, because what I love about it is that it doesn't dwell too much on, like, the familiar team-up origin tropes. It gets right to the action. It's good. It's a nice blend. I mean, Batman's in it just enough. It keeps the focus on Suicide Squad, but basically... Which, again, is what we're expecting from the movie. Exactly, because, yeah. I mean, what I, I mean, you have the Suicide Squad, they're on a mission to Arkham to retrieve information from the Riddler um, for Amanda Waller, um, and, of course, she has her own intentions, so she's not telling them. Um, meanwhile, Batman is in there trying to defuse a bomb set and planted by the Joker. So it's got this really crime thriller vibe to it that I love. It spends just enough time on Harley and Joker, but doesn't make that, you know, they consume the narrative, you know, it gives each character their own due. Um, so I really love that one. I'm, I was disappointed that it takes me so long to get to it, but, um, so yeah, I ranked uh, like in the article, I said at the beginning that, um, I didn't include Mask of Tasm and Return of Joker in there just because, like, they're too obvious. Those are <laughs> obvious. Those are the undoubted, I mean, unmatched, you know, kings of DC animation. So, yeah. um, and and I said, I even said, I'm like, and if you haven't seen these, you know, what are you doing with your life? Uh, <laughs> like, um, right, right. So, yeah, some of my picks were, like, Assault on Arkham. Um, Under the Red Hood is my favorite. Um, the Superman Batman Apocalypse is one of my favorites because I love that one because it really combines... Supergirl's origin with the New Gods mythology 
and um, I love Jeff Loeb, and it's based on a graphic novel by him. He's great. Um, yeah, Wonder Woman, New Frontier, all these movies. So it was really fun revisiting some of those or watching ones I hadn't seen yet. And you love for Gods and Monsters. I love Gods and Monsters too. I I couldn't <laughs> put it. I like I there was see there were. It was great. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, they have I, they a very were, good pedigree in general. They, yeah, and uh, I mean, they you know, knew of course, the animated right. Well, it was Bruce Tim, Alan Burnett, um, Sam Liu, all of them on that. So, I mean, I had no doubt that was going to be good. Yeah, I was kind of surprised. Like people like raved and raved. I didn't think it was like a five star one, but it, it was really good. Um, so, I, I mean, that was one of the better alternate universe stories I'd seen in recent years. Cool. Um, nice. So, those are the DC ones, and then one other that's uh, separate. Um, that as a film buff, I, it I, it annoyed me that it took me so long to see this, but Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind just got added to oh, Netflix. Yeah. I had never seen it before. I've never seen that either. And, uh, Sadly. and I was like, and yeah. I, I was dis- I love that movie. Yeah, I was disappointed that I'd never seen it because I love Charlie Kaufman. Yeah, I love yeah, Adaptation. Adaptation is one of my favorite Adaptation movies of all time. Being John Malkovich, all those, and so I like that one a little less, but I like them. Both. Okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I like Adaptation is my favorite. Adaptation um, and uh, Magnolia are two of them. Okay, yeah, in the yeah, same yeah. era too. It's yeah, one yeah. of my favorite films of all time. Sure, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Not that they're both by him, but yeah. Right, right. And so, and of course I love this. I mean, you know, it's amazing how much depth there is. Because, I mean, you have the basic story of these two lovers. And she, uh, you know, they break up. And she has all memories of him erased. And then he's trying to do the same to her. But it's so much more than that. And the way the narrative is structured is just, it's all over the place, but it works. It's just like, that's what I love about Kaufman's style. Is there's so much you can learn from him between... Not just how weird his characters are and how the crazy concepts he's able to come up with, but the way he builds on those and crafts a story around it, it's just really amazing. Now, I have to ask, have you read much about the movie outside of just seeing it? Reviews and stuff. Okay, yeah, because I always... um, I I've, I've read because they have some some stuff on it, but uh, yeah. one of the original alternate ending that I don't think they ever actually shot, but okay. they had storyboards for was them it was like the two of them at eighty years old. Oh, really? <laughs> meeting in the office like after their mind. Wipes, That's cool. That's which cool. is a much more depressing ending for that. It's movie, depressing. It's like, but it's like they've I, just I, been in this. In but this I can see that. But, I could see that though. Yeah. 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 That's, That's uh, interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, cool. Uh, let's let's move on to you. Sure. Let's, sure, yeah. uh, I'll go last. Um, what are, what have you been uh, checking out lately? What's what's yeah. got you uh, going? The thing I've been reading a lot of right now that I've been loving, and very few people seem to be talking about it, is Len Wein back on Swamp Thing. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. He's doing a run right now with uh, all of the artists named Just Escape Me. Um, Jones. Crap, his name, his name escaped me. But Robert Henry, no. Uh, <laughs> just throw out names. Yeah, but, yeah, some other Jones. Yeah. But Lynn Wine back on Swamp Thing, it's a very classic feeling book. The art has a very like flat, old kind of style to it that's great. The story is very, it reminds me a lot of Alan Moore's first arc, the whole uh, Floronic Man stuff uh-huh. from that. It's similar to that, but it's like Alec Holland... Uh, loses the ability to be Swamp Thing. What? Someone comes along and ends up taking him to Zatanna and uses this like artifact to swap Swamp Thing from Alec Holland to his friend, and then that guy starts going and taking over uh, uh, Homa. And it's it's just this really great, very classic comic book story. It has all that weird kind of Shakespearean vibe uh-huh. that Swamp Thing has always had that I've always loved about uh-huh. that character. Literary. Yeah, very literary. Very, um, you know, anytime a character is revealed, there's always that, like, 
whole lead up to a splash page that when you turn it has their name in their own font design oh. and, you know <laughs> just very old school but it works it's it's it you can tell how, how long into the run is it i think issue six just came out okay. i think um so arc this two? is one of I, I i i think i remember they were doing like a bunch of like original creators return yeah mini series because yeah. i think so they, they have also nothing to do with Poison regular Ivy. continuity well, i don't know i don't know about continuity so it doesn't but... touch base on rebirth or mm-hmm. that yeah, yeah no uh, this, I think, is yeah. I think there's just going to be like a bunch of self-contained miniseries yeah. with those original I, teams. I've heard Ledween. I've heard, yeah. I've heard Ledween talking uh, all about Swamp Thing. He's like really old. Yeah, yeah. And, and, <laughs> yeah. and really like yeah. outspoken, a little bit curmudgeonly, a little bit arrogant, but also very, very talented. Yeah. Um, and when you hear him in interviews, he's always just like, "Well, you know, I had the idea for this before anybody, and that." Before. I mean, it, when you have so many accomplishments, it's hard not to come across a little arrogant. Yeah. Like you are the man. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's also got to be weird to have created a character that everyone associates with another writer now. yes everybody's yes. like oh Swamp Thing Alan Moore yes. like, well not really yeah that yeah, was kind of me yeah. yeah but he talks about like you know all the great I mean there's a I don't know where where was it that I heard oh yeah I know where it was he was one of the co-hosts for a while of the Nerdist Writers Panel Comics Edition. Oh, which okay. Is totally worth checking That's out. That's great. Yeah, they did this for a while because you know Ben Ben Blacker uh, is actually writes comics now. And he got yeah. really into comics for a while um, and started doing like a comics offshoot. And Len Wein was one of their co-hosts. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of really good interviews with him talking about that whole process. And, like, I think he went, I think before predating this this miniseries, I didn't know about that because I haven't been following yeah. that. But before it, there was, like, a one-shot he did or something he did yeah. returning to the yeah, character. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I remember him talking about that and how, what, like, a surreal great experience it was and stuff. He's a really interesting this guy. One, this one feels like, when you read the first issue, it feels like him settling back in and just being like, okay, let me show you how it's done. Nice. He reintroduces the whole, the character's origin on the first page, like, tells you everything you need to know, slams into the nice. story. It feels very effortless. Like, you can tell this is a guy he's been thinking about for a very long time. It's nice. Um... And like I said, very few people talking about it, so it's been yeah. strange. It's yeah, just, I hadn't um, really heard much buzz on it. I don't see much online about it. Maybe there is. I just haven't seen it. They handed it to me at Ultimate, like, "Hey, if you like Swamp Thing, you should be reading this. It's new." And I was like, "Wow!" When you said that, I was about to say, "No, I just saw an article on it," but I'm pretty sure that was on your site. <laughs> <laughs> Our reading list, internet picnic, yeah. full circle. <laughs> yeah, um, Kelly, I, Kelly Jones. Kelly just, Jones. Thank I you. I look these things up while other people are talking. Thank about you. Them. That name completely just, escaped me. Um, I, I wanted to ask, because I do want to check this out. Again, yeah. I'm a pretty big trade waiter, just because single issues get out of control yeah. if, you, if and, you start. And story um, is tough, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but, uh, so have you read any of the more recent runs by either no. Snyder or... Soul? I missed it. It's weird. I With Swamp Thing, I'm a fairly recent, like, a Swamp Thing-obsessed fan. Weird. And I kind of, like, jumped around. I read... What was it? I think I might have read, like, a uh, the annual that mm-hmm. Snyder did at one point in early mm-hmm. New 52 yeah. and then that made me go oh crap and go back and get all the Alan Moore and right. then when this came out I started so I'm jumping around a lot so I haven't read any of the Snyder stuff okay. oh I you think, got to yeah, I've the, heard it's great it's, it's, for me it's one of the high points of the whole New 52 is bo- both Snyder and Soul they're very different types of runs yeah. but uh, it introduces a lot of cool things to the mythos and yeah, I mean, it's a book with a lot of with a pretty storied history of creators. I know also, oh, yeah. Brian K. Vaughn did a run. I think that he Grant hates, Morrison that he hates and tries. Th- he right, he, he he hates a lot of anything yeah. that was from <laughs> no, the big two. Yes, no, but especially that he's always just like that. I was that run was horrible. I really botched that. He says <laughs> hmm. I keep meaning to check it well, out, but yeah, I know he. If you're not Brian a fan. K. Vaughn, you can say, "Yeah, I botched my yeah. swamp thing." Right. <laughs> <laughs> Good God, that is a point. <laughs> that is a point. He's just like, "Have you checked out Saga yet, though?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, have you checked out the best-selling book uh, in the yeah. universe? Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
but yeah, no, I would like to... I, I'm a big... A lot of it comes from the um, New 52 run, because yeah. Swamp Thing's always a character that was interesting, but... Uh, it's only been in the past like seven, eight years that the older stuff's really become available, yeah. and I keep meaning to get those Alan Moore. What trades, the new but... one embodies that I think Alan Moore did so well, and it's probably part of the reason we remember Alan Moore is taking a ridiculous character, yeah. which Swamp Thing is completely ridiculous. Like even in the realm of DC, he's completely ridiculous, right. and making you care. Going back to the monster thing that you were talking about right. earlier, he genuinely makes you feel. For Alec Holland, and he always reminds That's you. That's crucial. He always reminds you that Alec Holland and Swamp Thing are not the same. They are, but they're also not. And the story is about Alec Holland, who has to be Swamp Thing, and who has embraced. And in this, this story is very much about him losing the ability to be Swamp Thing, and then, and because he's now like, oh, I'm free, I can leave, and then he realizes, no, my. That's my place. Mm-hmm. That's my place in the world. And now, at this point in the arc, he's trying to get back. To save Homeland, become Swamp Thing again, which I, I would predict is how it's going to end. Would be my word. just going going out on a limb here. <laughs> um, but then the other thing I've been into recently was funny. You mentioned Muppets and Jim Henson earlier, because I'm I'm writing a screenplay right now, so I'm very like any if I'm watching something, it's all research and all that. So I'm not watching a lot of new stuff right now, unfortunately. But I've been rewatching Dinosaurs, uh-huh. the '90s Jim Henson show. What is that? What does that little baby say? Not the mama? Yeah, yeah. Not the mama! Or my favorite is every time they beat the crap out of that baby. It's the weirdest con- <laughs> like, context in the show. But they'll like turn and hit him with his hit him it's with weird. his tail. That show's whack. He'll bounce bounce around and land and just go again every time, and it kills me. <laughs> I guess he's a baby that's a glutton for punishment. Yeah, awesome. But what they did that was so smart on that show. I've got like the first two seasons uh-huh. on DVD I've been going through. When it starts, it's very much like this is a this is a parody of a sitcom. We're, we're making a really good parody of, of All in the Family, but with dinosaurs. Then halfway through, it almost starts becoming South Park. Not obviously in, in like vulgarity and all that, but in the way that South Park is now just thinly veiled social commentary. Right. Very thinly at very, this point. That's what dinosaurs did. At a certain point, they have an episode about sexual harassment in a workplace that's literally called, because there's a character who they jokingly call Sexual Harris, the episode is called... What? What Sexual Harris Meant. And about halfway through... Oh my god, my uh, mind is blowing. Any any metaphor falls away. <laughs> and these literally, the, the like, act three is them in court... What? With the we, dinosaurs? Yes. It's like, <laughs> it's like the We Say So Corporation court... Trying to determine whether or not he harassed a female employee. Then they did an episode after that about the new... It's called A New Leaf. And it's where they find this leaf in the forest that when they chew it, it makes them feel really good. What? It's (laughs) It's the drug episode? It's the drug episode. And they get to the end. And at the very end, it's like they realize, you know, like, well, all things in moderation, but you can't let it destroy your life. And they have their whole moral message or whatever. And it's like, you can't, you know, it's not worth it. We're going to give it all up and blah, blah, blah. They go, it comes up and it's like they're having their moment where everyone's posed and like happy. And then you see like the camera backs out and you see like grips and lighting people and everything come in. And they go, all right, guys, great job, great job today. And Robbie, the dinosaur, looks in the camera and goes, hey, I'm Robbie Sinclair. You know me from the show Dinosaurs. Um, Right now, drugs are a big problem in our country. And they're forcing sitcoms to do a lot of ham-fisted drug episodes just like this one. So please, don't do drugs, save sitcoms. And that's how they end the episode. (laughs) It's like a social blade. Holy shit. It's incredible what they were doing. 
and it's like very funny. It's very Henson, so it's well written. And you know, his son produced it because Jim had passed away at that point. But it's beautifully made, and just this strange dinosaur social commentary. Like the whole thing through it is Robbie is always the character who's questioning classic like moral and religious values so he's the character who's like well why are we doing this like one of the great jokes in the show is why are we counting backwards in our timeline it doesn't make any sense he's always the one questioning is he the abed of dinosaurs sort of yeah (laughs) and it's like anytime there's like a uh uh you know something comes up earl is your he's your you know your archie bunker so he's always like saying the racist thing or the sexist thing or whatever and it's his son who's just like we don't have to think like that anymore we're civilized now we're not prehistoric like we're not you know and th- th- they just used the show to, like, get across really cool messages. And they did, like, I think they only did, like, four seasons. Well, yeah, I was just, go ahead. Or, well, I was just going to say, I, I, it's always been on my radar. I never watched it when I was younger. But yeah. uh, I remember, actually, the AV Club had, I think, an article on its finale, which is, I think they just literally end civilization it's because it's... extinction. It's about yeah. the dinosaurs going extinct because of pollution and everything else. Yeah, Whoa. from the corporation he works for. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. It's dark too. It's a dark ending for that show. What was it? Now, what? Now you said you're, you're writing something, and you can't yep. tell us too much, probably. Yeah. But what is the? What was the connection to dinosaurs? Nothing. It's just that was something easy to watch that was so different from anything I'm working on that I can like let my ah, brain go for a while. Got it. So I'm watching so little like other stuff that this was just a good. I don't have to care. I'll put it on. In the interesting. Morning or but you, so you'd always heard it was interesting. Like, would yeah. you go into it knowing it was going to have this cool? No. Well, see, I watched. I have this tape. I have this uh, VHS tape up at my my family has a has a small lake place near Virginia, and for years we always had this dinosaurs tape up there, and it was awesome. two. It was two episodes from the first season. It's kind of like the time that I taped the episode of Full House where Stephanie <laughs> yeah. gets her glasses, and I wore that tape out. <laughs> nice. I've watched this tape my whole life. Yeah. Like, my dad and I will, we, half the time we speak in jokes from the show. Right. It's like how we, you know, we go back and forth. And years ago, at like a used bookstore, I bought Dirt Cheap, the first two seasons of sure. Dinosaurs on sure. DVD, and it should be sitting on my shelf. And so I went up to the lake recently and watched it again, and I was like, crap, I have this. I have this at home. So I went home, and just any time I have downtime, I've been throwing it on, and it's such a great... Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is totally worth revisiting. If you haven't seen it in a while or have never seen the whole thing, it is super worth it's, going back It's to. almost like, I just thought of it in a weird context, like somebody somehow... Like planted a bomb, yeah. That little tape, yeah, to like explode later in life, yeah, exactly, and like get you to like see this brilliance or whatever, exactly. And it's crazy because you know I grew up watching this show most, you know, most of it not being a writer or not being a filmmaker. Sure, sure. When I was, you know, I was a kid watching it, and now I watch it and I see what they were doing, and I see how intentional every detail was. It was, I mean, it's like when you watch Sesame Street now. You watch the old episodes of Sesame Street, and you go, "Wow, Henson was a genius. Yeah, he knew how to create these characters and how to change it and what to do. Uh-huh. And the way the show was shot was really revolutionary and all that. That's what Dinosaurs is. Like, it's a pretty, it's pretty masterful in the way it was made. Uh, and it all. This is another like cool, weird, like geek trivia thing. It all that whole show started because Jim Henson was so impressed with what the Creature Shop was doing for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Wow. They could do fully animatronic faces that looked realistic. He was like, oh, wow, we need to use that, and had the idea for a dinosaurs show, but then he died before it could ever be made, and his son picked it up 
got it to ABC and wow. ended up making the show. And coming from a theater background, because I did a lot of theater growing in middle and high school and all yeah. that, like, and the work that goes into puppetry and all that, I mean, granted, I'm not on Gemma Henson level, I'm sorry, right. Right. But, <laughs> right, right. but I mean, it's hours and hours and hours of dedication and there, crafting. There's a video that is totally worth watching. If you guys ever checked out Tested, it's Adam Savage's website from the guy from Mythbusters. Uh, isn't Tested, um, doesn't that relate to Giant Bomb? It was at one point, I now think. split. Yeah, I think they've split now. But he, Adam Savage, went to New York and did a, just a, it's like a 30-minute episode of him building a puppet with the guy who makes puppets for Avenue Q. For the Broadway show, he used to make stuff, I think, with Jim Henson or whatever. Sure. And you see that process yeah, yeah. of making the puppet and then learning how to puppeteer it yeah. and how to make the character. That sounds fascinating. You will never look at, like, Sesame Street the same way. No. Again. No, it's... It's crazy. There's a lot of that, like, in that Labyrinth document I was talking about, there's this one... There's one scene. It's just this one... She's walking by a wall and there's, like, this... Muppet of just a bunch of like bar- like moss with eyes on it, yeah. and all the eyes follow her. But in the behind the scenes, he talks about okay, we had to have all these eyes following her, so we had to make this completely original wiring system so that when he would turn this one thing, it all very specifically all pulled all the eyes to oh, follow. And wow. even just like seeing him do it with the wires, it's still amazing how realistic it all moves. Well, practical just... effects, even to this day, are often way better. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, and that's the thing is it's weird it's like the old uncanny valley problem in animation where if something looks too real your brain doesn't accept it right if it's like right on that edge you know I watch original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles I totally buy it and I, or I watch Dinosaurs mm-hmm. I totally buy these as characters you watch the new CG Ninja Turtles I don't buy it yeah. I, it breaks me from the story because there's that weird thing where when you see a character that is obviously fake your brain goes, okay, I've accepted that. That's in my suspicion okay. of disbelief. I don't have to worry about it right. anymore. Good. Whereas when you're seeing something that's animated that's so close to being real, all you you spend the entire time looking at everything that isn't real. So that's it's a, a really good point. It's yeah. a, it's so you're they, crisscrossing between right. Uncanny Valley, I've accepted this, and wait a minute, is that real? Right, they, and I, that's what yeah. they refer to as falling in the Uncanny Valley. It's just because it's so real, but it's not quite. So you notice the details. So that's why, I, that's why I feel like you know CG only in recent years has gotten to the point where we can accept it, whereas we've accepted blatantly fake cartoons sure. since the beginning of you know cinema history almost. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why, again, just to relate it back to dinosaurs, like why the show is so powerful is because you're having these. It's like you're watching the, the Ninja Turtles, mm. and then they're talking to you about real world stuff that yeah. matters and that is in, that you know is still relevant today. Yeah. It's totally worth going back to. Cool. So that's awesome. me. So I got three quick hits uh, to, to close out. I, I think I see one that you're bringing well, back. One is peeking out. out. One's uh, peeking out. So this is something I talked about first on the last episode, um, and uh, it's called The Beauty. Have you heard of this? I've heard of it. I've not read it. Dude, it's the hookup. I won't go into everything that it's about except to say that it's just a catch you up cliff. It's about an STD that makes you more beautiful until it eventually kills you. Oh, um, wow. So everybody wants it, not knowing it's going to kill them, and then a lot of people start dying, and it's crazy. But if dude, you listen to the, our last episode, you can hear Rich's epic story. <laughs> Rich, Rich has been yeah. in love with this book for about the five years before it actually got made. It was a Top Cow book, uh, oh, pilot okay. season, which notoriously never actually <laughs> get brought to series. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They did the Amazon thing before Amazon did, except there is never, the pilots never, ever got made. Oh, yeah. Uh, but but uh, anyway, the beauty... Um, I was actually a little bit lukewarm on it when we talked about it. I was like, you know, how could it ever live up to the hype? And those first couple issues that I had read before we recorded that podcast, I was like, it's pretty good. I don't know. I'm going to wait till I finish it. Dude, I finished it. It's awesome. Yes. It's fucking awesome. This book is 
I mean, it's absolutely phenomenal. I'm going to read it again. It's, it's, I love it. And I actually wow. sent you guys a text, but my phone was messing up at the time to, to say, like, dude, no, no, no. No, no, no. It's the beautiful, beauty too. Just I, oh, those dude, pages. It's, it's gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's, it's so cool. It gets into, like, it, it gets into all that, that discussion of, like, you know, we all know the story about, like, people have conspiracy theories that, like, AIDS is curable, cancer is curable right. if you have money, and a lot of these companies don't want to put a cure out. They want to give you, like, something that, like, makes the symptoms lesser so that yeah. they can make money on you forever and right. that they don't really want to cure these diseases. Well, it goes into that territory a lot in the second nice. half and it's just genius. It's just geniusly done. Nice. Uh, it's a brilliant book and I just can't believe it's continuing. I'm so happy. So now This episode will, of course, be coming out after Heroes Con, but uh, you probably could have found Rich at uh, Reinhopt, right? Or is it uh, crazy? What's the author's name? Oh, um, uh, uh, Jeremy Hahn. Jeremy Hahn. Yeah, yeah. a completely different writer. You yeah. probably find him at that guy's table because last year they talked for about an hour. It was awesome. <laughs> he was dude. talking the guy's ear off. So. Oh, dude, I love it. And he, oh, man, he gave me this cool pamphlet. Dude, it was rad. So I'm going to be there with this in tow. Um, that was number one. Uh, number two is a little corollary to our discussion on Quantum Break. I finished Quantum Break now. Okay. And that boss battle at the end is fucking shitty. <laughs> it is just as shitty as you and everybody said. What did you think of it, man? Uh, well, it's just a very un. It's 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 just another firefight, but with instant kill bombs going off. All I around. know. So it's, it's not really exactly uh, well designed. Do you uh, do you play games? Any? I do. I'm so far behind though. Just yeah. time wise, I just haven't had time. It's one of those things, man. It's a real, and that's one of the things I always commended Quantum Break for because I don't know if you know that what that game is. No, I don't know much about so it. So no. Quantum Break is this game by Remedy, the people who did Alan Wake and then Max Payne before that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, they're, I think they're from like Germany or, or or something like that, but some some European country. But um, they, this game was like they, it was a big like Microsoft Studios co-production, and the idea is it it's a TV show. And a game, oh, so cool. like you play an episode of the of the game part, or like like a, a couple chapters. Then you get to this junction where you make a decision, and so and it's like in the in the in the game part you're playing as like the, the protagonist, the good guy. In the junction you play as like the the antagonist, the oh, bad wow. guy. Make a decision for him, and then an episode plays. And it's a thirty minute, at least as good as anything you'd see on USA or TNT, like episode of TV. Wow. And it changes based on what you did in that junction and these little ripples that are less so these little ripples that you find throughout the levels. And there's four of these episodes throughout the game. Whoa. And it's really, really, really That's cool. Brilliant. It's brilliant. It's brilliant, and, and I really love the story. Uh, I think Jordan had some pretty valid criticisms of it. I just, I felt like, I, I agree, it's a TNT USA level production. It would make for a solid, you know... Saturday night premiere movie, I think, mm-hmm. on its own. I don't think they tie together as well as they maybe could have, but yeah. it, it was entertaining. And it also ends on a huge cliffhanger, pretty much, which is a little annoying. Um, but, I mean, they sort of close it down. They sort of don't in any way. But, but overall, it's just really cool. And what I always love about it is the fact that when I sit down to do anything, is what reminded me of what you just said. It, it ties back because when I sit down to like do anything, I'm like, oh, I really want to watch this TV show, but wait, I really want to play that game, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and I don't have any time to do them both. Yeah. This actually gave me that. And I know that sounds corny. It's like, well, nah. At any one time, you're still just playing a game. or still, just... But no, what it did was it meant that I could play a game and then know that at a certain point, it was time to sit back and watch a show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I was getting both of those itches scratched in a way. I couldn't believe what actually worked, but it did come together like chocolate and peanut butter in a beautiful <laughs> I thought. Um, so I really liked that. The, the gameplay itself 
it has leaves a lot to be desired. Um, but you know, it's not the kind of game you go to strictly for the gameplay. It's the whole right. package. Right. So anyway, finish Quantum Break. Ending the the, the final boss battle sucks, but, but really, my head's still in that zone. Really good fiction. Really good world building about time travel, etc. So cool. I would definitely recommend I checking check that it out. out. Sorry. Cool. Yeah, I definitely recommend checking it out. And then number three um, on Friday night, I saw Popstar. Oh, you did. <laughs> oh, really? Yes. How yes. is that, dude? Popstar is. I mean, that movie is an hour and a half onslaught of funny jokes. There's not one point in that movie... You know, every movie has to have three-act structure, and they find a way to do that. But never in a way that I'm annoyed or or, or, or not having a good time or even... Like, like they find a way to have three-act structure and jokes constantly, and it's not boring, and it's compelling... I mean, it's just, it's it's amazing all the feats it pulls off in hmm. this hour and a half. And, and it makes fun of these popumentaries, as they're called, <laughs> really, really well. And it's also a movie I'd recommend, I was telling Jordan this earlier, to see in the theaters. Because it, you know, when you watch these, I mean, to make that movie and make it authentic. Here's something really cool about The Lonely Island, because I've been listening to interviews with them recently. They were talking about, uh, I think it was Terry Gross on um, Fresh Air. She, she was interviewing um, Yorma Tacone and, and saying, who I've met and interviewed, he's an awesome guy. Um... And saying, you know, you used to, you do the beats for the band, right? You do a lot of the music. And he was like, yeah, I used to do a lot more of the beats. He says, like, mm-hmm. you know, in the first album and, and some of that stuff, I did a lot of the music. But he says what's come to be the, the one of the funny jokes about The Lonely Island is that our music is, like, legitimate. Like, it's legitimately catchy. It's legitimately well-produced. Mm-hmm. It's just as... He didn't say as good because he wouldn't put it that way, but yeah. it's it's on the level of like legit rap and a legit hip hop and legit R and B, yet with ridiculous lyrics most of the time. <laughs> yeah. And that juxtaposition yeah. it really drives it. And if it didn't sound a hundred percent on the level of, you know, Jay Z's not a good example, a Drake or something right. like that, right. it, it it wouldn't work. And so the production values are crucial now to that whole thing working. So he and then the second and third albums and now this album and, and the soundtrack and this movie and all that, like he doesn't do the music as much. They actually buy beats from the same people that make beats for hip hop, you know, uh, oh, wow. records and stuff. Like that's where they get their music from. This is, I mean, they, they just put stupid lyrics like <laughs> "These are the things I store in my Jeep" and shit like that. <laughs> uh, it's, I mean, the movie's really funny. Is, it has a hundred thousand jokes in it, huh? The, well, the question, and I, I feel like it's it's kind of a no brainer. But is this the sort of thing where you're going to know if you want to see this movie if you like The Lonely Island to begin with? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Absolutely. I mean, it's really just a string together of... I mean, if you like the Lonely Island um, digital shorts that you see Mm -hmm. on Saturday Night Live, I mean, they're three minutes, this is an hour and a half, and it's just like all that. But I was really worried. I was like, at a certain point, is that going to wear thin? Am I going to be bored? Right. Uh, You know, this tongue-in-cheekness. But there's so many just different ideas. And these are creative dudes, and there's three of them, and they're in a room, and they just come up with some crazy shit. Like some, I won't spoil any of it. Just some stuff you wouldn't expect. Playing with form hmm. and playing with structure of film and cool stuff like that. Just really cool stuff that you know, you being a film geek would yeah, really dig. For I sure. think. Um, and I mean, and, and, and you know, obviously you as well. Um, and and sure. all of us really, you know, are, are, are into that kind of thing. Yeah. But it's just a really, it's just a really well made mockumentary. Really funny, really fun. But um, one thing I was saying earlier is that. The, the production values when you see like the, the concert performances mm-hmm. I mean they have the, it's a stadium and it's packed and it's like a full show like Britney Spears would put on wow. like unbelievably well produced Adam Levine's hologram so expensive <laughs> I mean it's just so it looks real and when you see it on that screen you can for a minute flip and be like, wow, I could see, like, with the right production, like, Andy Samberg could be a pop star. Right, you know what I right, mean? Right. It actually blurs the line effectively, and that's what makes it so good, along with really sharp writing. Hmm. So, it was, cool. it, was, it was really That's surprising. Awesome. Yeah. It didn't, it, the, the, tra- the trailers didn't give me, like, 
that strong of an impression. So yeah. it's cool that it was. You're not cool a big that, fan of them in general, or are you? I mean, I I like some of their stuff. That one just looked a little bit more gimmicky, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Than, but it's interesting to see Lonely Island doing a film right on the what two months after Key and Peele. A similar group on the kind of opposite side, uh-huh. also doing their feature version of their show. Right now, Lonely Island is kind of doing Kevin? a feature. I haven't. No, I wanted to. Yeah. But um, but no, that's I'm really interested to see that now. Yeah, my hope for this movie was up because it has been four years since their last album. It felt like this is what they've been focusing on. Mm-hmm. So if nothing else, I felt like they they put the work in, and it sounds like it paid off. Oh, yeah. dude, it's 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 super entertaining. That's great. Um, but anyway, so let's end like we always end. Uh, sure. Obviously, we'll have our our uh, you know Twitter handles and all that at the very end. But before that, let's let's go around and talk about what we're going to be consuming as far as terms of media in the next couple weeks. Um, Jordan, let's just keep the rotation. Uh, Heroes Con's five days away, so whatever I pick up there. I'm a laser focus on on the fact that we're we're so close to, really, my my favorite time of the year in terms of comics. Uh, I I love Heroes Con, so whatever I pick up there. um, Of course, I'm still reviewing Preacher on AMC for TV Equals, so I'm watching that. Loving Uh, it. Yeah, no, I'm I'm really enjoying it. Uh, So that, and I also finally picked up the first Preacher graphic novel, so I can actually finally have read it. So I'll, I'll be reading that as well. Kevin? Uh, so definitely anything I pick up at Heroes Con. Um, I haven't really planned anything specifically I want to get. I, I do want to pick up the Wonder Woman 77 trade mm. um, with a bunch of creators like Mark Andreco and some other creators on that one. Um, I think it's like short stories on there. Like, I'm pretty sure. I don't, don't quote me on that, but um, it's more like separate from the main continuity. Um, that really had me interested in it. Um, definitely some Valiant books, some Image, like oh, pretty much all over the place. So I'm going to get there. Um, a movie I want to see is The Lobster, which have you heard about? Oh, yeah. I've heard a lot about that. that. Okay, yeah, definitely. If we can find a theater at, at the con, I'd be down to see it. What is it? There are a lot of theaters in Charlotte. We could actually That's make that happen. I would be down. romance movie. Very bizarre. It's, it's... Like, basically, they have, they're have they sent to this hotel, and they have 45 days to pick a soulmate, or else they're turned into like beasts or something. That sounds like, turned awesome. into an animal. That, yeah. And so the main uh, character my... chooses a lobster as the animal he'll be turned into. He has his brother, right. who's a dog, that comes with him. And a friend said it was the best movie he's seen all year. So, oh my I, god! I, like, I, I mean, I want to see Bob Star, but I want this is at the top of my list right yeah. now because I saw Nice Guys, and um, you know, I really want to see know, Nice Guys. Yeah, nice too. Guys I want to see that too. So if we see a movie here, it's kind of definitely want to see that. Um, Mr. Robot season two is coming up. Oh, so I can't wait! Season top, one was oh, phenomenal. Yeah. Season one is on my top three or top five of all time. All time. TV shows. That, yeah, literally. That yeah, that's awesome. So definitely checking out that. Um, so yeah, and then I also picked up um, Pat Oswalt's last book. It was released last year. Silver called Screen. Silver Screen Fiend. That's a um, great book. Yes, I'm excited that about getting into that. Really, book. very excited about getting into that. It will make you spend a lot of your time watching old movies. Oh yeah, and that's <laughs> and it's it's great. And I love Pat Oswalt. I just watched his latest comedy special on Netflix. And everything yeah, and yeah, word, so, fantastic. Yeah. Plenty on the radar. God, that's a lot on that radar. Oh yeah, that's uh-huh. a cluttered radar. In summer, though, I have, I have time. I'm that's awesome. Yeah. No, I'm jealous. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, Heroes Con as well for me. I'll be there making the rounds, doing photos and stuff for Internet Picnic. So whatever I pick up or whoever I run into there and, and see their stuff. Um, I've been reading a lot of Rebirth, um, trying to keep up with all the first issues at least. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, Civil War Two. I read yeah, the first Civil issue. Civil War Two is really good. I'm, I'm yeah. liking it so far. Are you a Bendis fan in general? Yeah, I'm a big Bendis fan. Yeah, Powers is one of my favorite Powers series. Genius. You watching the show? No, I haven't. Got to see it. Second heard, season is like stepped it up a lot. Cool. Yeah, I was kind of like eh, from the early stuff, but I'm I'm glad. I need to get I need to get into it full on. Yeah. Um. And I just recently, Jeremiah and I, um, both for Internet Picnic have started collecting 
VHS again, which I hadn't done since okay. I was a kid. Okay. It is an incredibly cheap collection and hobby and way to watch old movies in a really cool um, way. Yes. So I just got a VCR again, and nice. today I popped in. I, I was able to find for a dollar original uh, THX Mastered Star Wars trilogy. It's the last one oh. before they added shit into it. Yeah. Oh. And it opens. Oh. I put in a new hope just to test it, and it opens with an interview with George Lucas from the oh. mid 90s. Yeah. That is so 90s, it blew my mind. Oh. I have that tape, actually. Because oh, I have. Yeah. I, it, at, my, at my house in Charlotte, because actually, it's, it's pretty. You are right. It's cheap to get VHS. And I yeah. sometimes will pick one up because I have. This big block TV in my room at home in Charlotte, and I have—I'm I'm so mad because I had all those tapes as a kid, and I yeah. still have yeah, yeah, yeah. Star Wars and Empire, and I lost Return of the Jedi, and I'm oh, so frustrated. Man. But they were all those pre, uh, oh, like man. early '90s, late '80s. You releases. literally can't buy them anymore, can you? I, I got that that whole set at a thrift store in Fuquay last week. For no, a that's, buck. that's not what I mean. I mean like mass produced. You can't oh, buy oh, no, any no, no, no. Star Wars that's not no. fixed. Mm-mm. They actually Quote, fixed. They actually say when when you Sabotaged. put in this when you put in this yeah. tape, it plays this like little trailer they did of all the Star Wars movies at that point and they say this is the last release of the orig- original films and it actually kind of gave me chills cuz they come up and it says Star Wars one last time. And it was their last major Full quality release before they started putting shit into it. Before so, the dark times. And I also how prophetic that 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 that, I know. that, that title that subtitle. Is. But I also I have uh, the VHS I'm picking up is like the Rambo trilogy. Nice original Mad Max. Respectable. Uh, Straw Dogs, Sorry. Exorcist, Taxi Driver. You're gonna have a huge oh. pile of that shit. And I know where to put it, bro. I know. Well, <laughs> thankfully I have room right now, but in about a week I'll be screwed. So I'm gonna make my way back to a lot of my favorite movies, but on VHS nice. again. So and we have a big post There's coming out about like, VHS, so okay. it's part of what we're. There's nothing like the VHS aesthetic. It's oh just, no, it's yeah, great! It's, it's wonderful. It's, it's funny no, to yeah, say there's now. There's nothing but, like yeah. it. That is, that, I'll give you that. <laughs> it's gonna, amazing. See, I grew, that was my whole era, and I knew a dude back in the day. Um, his name was Andy Signor. He actually did some stuff Sign- since then. It, it, he does the Scream Junkies. So, uh, Andy Signor. Yeah. You know he, like the guy that hosts Screen Junkies, or like the the Toast Honest trailer. I mean, uh, but movie fights. He might. He might. Seriously, that, well, that'd be crazy. Yeah, I went That's to school with him. I went to film school with him. Maybe. Seriously. Yeah. Oh, wow. There's a there's a blog, and I'm missing it because no, look this, um, look him up. Type in because if you're talking about him, this is the guy who hosts movie fights and owns all Screen Junkies. Holy. Oh, no, that's that? not him. That's not okay, him. Who owns say, Screen Junkies? No. Like. Look him up. Anyway, while they're doing okay, that, yeah, yeah. Wait, wait, so wait. there is a said, uh, wait. You, it may be, it may. That be. would be so crazy. That would be insane. Like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is it beer? this dude? Let me see. Okay. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. That's funny. Wait, what? This is uh, no. I, I went to school with this dude. That's amazing, dude. That that's pretty impressive. Oh, that's a great this guy. Contact. I mean, wow. they have like big names all the time on Stranger Things. Oh yeah. They have oh an my entire god. Kevin Smith series. Yeah. Now. Oh my god. Well, anyway, this. Dude I don't know why you're surprised. You've got so many people that you went to school. Yeah, with I went who to blown sh- up. I went to school with the girl who uh, 
is uh, won the Emmy for The Affair also. Oh, nice. Um, Sarah Treem. Um, when um, you said that, I was and like, I, know, I knew this guy. And he's like, <laughs> I'm like, I watch his show every week. That's so crazy. <laughs> and, and I also, um, there's a guy named Bobby Kernow, who is the um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles editor for IDW. Oh, he, sweet. He and I made um, a sports documentary in, in, in senior year of high oh, school that's together. Oh, cool. Yeah, so I mean, him, I'd love to catch back up with him. He's a really cool guy. He, he, oh. he once made a joke about Nosferatu. And, like, I got it, and he was like, man, it's so cool to be around somebody who knows what I mean when I say Nosferatu. I was like, that's right, bro. <laughs> that kind of, that kind of thing, you know? uh, Anyway, but, yeah, going to the VHS thing, there is, uh, you might have seen it, there's a blog of a guy who is, like, going back to current movies, and he's making VHSs yes. with the original covers. It's beautiful. There, it's, yeah, it's fantastic. We were actually, there's, there's a guy, I don't know if it's him or another one who does a similar thing, but who, like, Brockton and Bo are friends with. Okay. Like they know the dude who's doing that, nice. so I want to get maybe wrangle him for internet picnic. No, that'd be to awesome. Yeah. Stuff because that that is so cool. Do it. And I, I pipe dream. I'm not saying this is official for the record. <laughs> I want to put NC Comic Con the movie on a VHS at some point because awesome. that would just like complete the whole circle. Well, yeah, yeah, I would have nerd them. I can't believe he's the screen junkies guy. Anyway, that's what up, Andy Signor, who you who obviously listens. Dude, to Dude, get on Twitter. You're like, yeah. <laughs> I know you're never on Twitter, but like yeah, yeah no, you know, me sh- and him. I have it at home. You're not gonna believe this. We were in you have pictures. I have movies. I was in with him, <laughs> dude. I'm telling you, this is like contact him. You have so I many have contacts. movies. I was like, in with let's him. Let's get on in the show. They bring in one was called one was called time. something time, um, uh, uh, out of time or something. Like it was <laughs> yeah. so corny. Yeah, but, but it was that's like awesome. like jokey. Like when I was in, you know. Uh, Sixth grade, dude. Movies. Like, post that and tag him in it, and see if he remembers, and then he'll retweet it. Oh, I'm sure he remembers. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the, some of the first movies he ever made. Really? That's so dude, crazy. That's so cool. That's These awesome. are the kind of people we could be interviewing if you'd send an email. That's <laughs> when you said that. Like, yeah, I knew this guy, Andy Signor. I'm like, I know. I knew he was involved in some shit, but I didn't know it was to that level. Yeah, I mean, he's got. Let me see how many followers no, um, on Twitter. No, is, well, right? I mean, his. I just looked. Screen Junkies has yeah. over a billion video views. Right, right. All right, well, we'll, we'll, we'll talk the fucking B. We'll talk this up <laughs> after the episode. Rich, okay, what are right. you going to be? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I am going to be. Um, I finally went back and finished The Witcher Two, um, oh, and I'm going to go back and actually play. I'm finally so I can now finally play Witcher Three. I'm nutty like that. If I don't finish the game first, the first one before it, yeah. I cannot play the next one. I just can't. Um, so I'm going to do that. I'm going to go play The Witcher 3. I have so many games I want to catch up on. I'll, I'll talk about that more on Joy of Gaming. Um, but reading-wise, I'm going to read Rye finally. I'm really excited to read Rye. You guys Dude. both like it. Is Kent at the con this? I think. Is he? I can't remember if he's at here. I think con. he was. Yeah, I saw his name on there. Okay. Unless anyway, anyway I'll make sure to get that back to you. Um, and and uh, what else? Um, I, so much I want to watch, man. I, you oh, know what? I actually yeah. started watching Killjoys a little bit. I was just in the mood for more Ashmore Brothers, more Ashmore Bros. <laughs> it's a fun little sci-fi it is, show. It's, it is a fun it, it does what it needs show. to do. It is, and I also want to watch Dark Matter, and uh, I want to get back to the freaking magicians. This is like sci-fi theater time. I want to get back <laughs> sci-fi to is a legit network. I know, The Expanse I want to watch more of. I, I, it was like one of my favorite shows of the year, and I only saw a couple episodes, and now I haven't had a chance to watch the rest, so I'm excited about it. There's so much stuff. I could go on forever, but yeah. um, lots of stuff, man. Lots awesome. of stuff. Awesome. Um, I, I would like to just say thank you for coming on the show, thank man. Thank you for having me. Oh, yeah, it was yeah, a blast. We do. Um, we'll we should do it more. Definitely I mean. do it again. Absolutely. And Rich, time. do you want to give me more updates about the site uh, and on that? Uh, I, I will um, on the next podcast. Okay, sounds good. On the next cool. podcast, so awesome. people can be uh, looking out for that. Sure. Uh, 
All right. Uh, well, meantime, you can, of course, follow us at The Joy of Game on Twitter. Kevin's going to be taking that over. Pro- sure. Maybe tweeting from here as Khan? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that would be awesome. Some stuff going yeah, there. That would be awesome. Uh, I guess those tweets will have already happened by the time you're hearing this out there. But anyway. <laughs> You'll have seen uh, them. You can it find be prophetic. me, Jordan Alsega, on Twitter at IndigoMaster, E-N-D-I-G-O-M-A-S-T-E-R. You can also check out... Uh, any of the public updates for Terminal Protocol on our Facebook page, which is just slash Terminal Protocol. Uh, and then Kevin? Kevin? Yep, Kevin Schaefer. You can find me on Twitter at KWSchaefer. That's K-W-S-C-H-A-E-F. You can also find me on allthatsepic.com and the NC Comic Con website um, and Ultimate, all the ones that are linked to that. Rich? Uh, yeah, you can find me at Rich Lepore. You can find me uh, on The Joy of Gaming. I do all of... Uh, I post all of our episodes and do like nice little uh, blurbs about them. So check those out. I try to put a little personality in each of those. Um, and there's um, and then I'll, also working on the big website, which will be unveiled soon. We'll give you an update on that um, soon to come. Cool. All right. Where can our listeners find you, Cliff? Yes, I'm at Cliff Bumgardner on Twitter, and you can also find. How do you spell Bumgardner? B U M G A R D N E R, like a poor gardener. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and you find internetpicnic.com. Of course, we're also on Twitter, Facebook, and so on. We have some cool stuff. We have a big VHS post about to come out. We just did an interview with, like I said, Hoyt Silva. That's really great for aspiring artists or people just starting out. And then we'll be having a lot of uh, Heroes Con coverage. So awesome. a lot of stuff coming out very soon. And then look for updates on the movie and all that in the near future. Awesome. Awesome. Well, on that note, um, I'm Rich Lepore. Jordan Alseka. Kevin Schaefer. Cliff Umbrider. And we will see you uh, really soon.